Welcome to the Safety Doc Podcast with your charismatic host and prominent safety expert, Dr. David Perodin. Be entertained and informed as the Safety Doc discusses both best and bizarre practices in safety preparation and crisis response. The truth will keep you safe. Follow Dr. Perodin on Twitter at SafetyPhD. Hey, everybody, it is a good friend, Dr. David Proden from down here in the North Star Recording Studio, wishing you well on September 19th, 2022. So, yeah, I did a little work on the introduction there, and I like it. I'm going to do a little bit more with it uh, to bring in a few more photos. Um, but, uh, but yeah, a little, little variety there, so um, that's going well. Um, it is a. It was a sunny, warm day. Tomorrow will be 84 and humid. And then after that, we kind of have a stretch of like 10 days in the 60s. And really, the reality is, here in Wisconsin, um, it's not going to get back uh, into the 80s. So tomorrow's kind of it, which means I'll be out biking and uh, wrapping things up for the year. My First uh, delivery of firewood arrives on Saturday, so that'll keep me busy for a few days. And um, yeah, just kind of a marker of the season. But uh, welcome to uh, everybody here. Let me do a shout out to uh, Solitude Surfer, Bolo, Spambot Fodder, and uh, Misty, Mrs. Wayne, and Ron Wayne. So we have a lot of Wayne representation here. So that is good. That is good. Um, and for those of you wondering, yes, we do have um, over here, um, we have the uh, safety cam going there on the side. So the safety cam is is uh, operating. It's looking good. Um, so there we are, safety cam. And let me just kind of change this up a little bit so it looks a little, a little nicer. Um, there we go. All right, we got the safety cam. Safety, a safety cam. Look at this here in the studio. We got the safety cam over here. So, so yeah, checking out what is the wall of fame over here, um, which if I move back a little bit here, you can also see the audiobook uh, little placards over there. And it's kind of my wall of fame, right? That's uh, and, uh, the vintage safety doc sign from back when the show started. And the intro was... Well, got a little hot there on the mic. The intro was, um, I had a little bit of uh, the throwback in there because the voice, um, the person who did that, right, somebody I hired off of Fiverr, but uh, that was the original intro to the Safety Doc show. So just mixing it up a little bit. I am replacing this mic, by the way. Um, I, I've said this before, but it's either going to be, um, if this mic unit is replaced, it'll be with a Shure MV7 um, which I think I'll have a lot more adjustment control over and the mic will kind of be situated differently coming down. Um, or else I'm, I'm still trying to find an, a really good headset um, option. So I know some of you have suggested, I don't think I'm going to do Wi-Fi. I had Wi-Fi 
um, like wireless, you know, mouse and keyboard had some issues down here uh, with that. So probably wouldn't go Wi-Fi or anything if the charge probably do wired, which isn't a big thing. Um, but uh, but yeah, I need to to do something like that. Like these these headphones are fine, just like on the mic thing. So um, anyway, we are we are here, and I'm going to talk about my my doctoral dissertation. But before I do, I had two interesting phone calls today. And the first, the first call um, was early this morning, and it was um, with Rachel um, Cox, who is um, a law student at Pritzker Law School, Northwestern University. And Rachel and I have been communicating for about a year. Uh, she is writing a legal note on abeyance agreements, or basically. Uh, uh, pre-expulsions, things that don't show up on student records. So instead of suspending a student, they do something that's like a suspension that you can never track and stuff like that. And she was citing some of the work I'd done previously. Like no one's done much work in this area or very few people, right? And she said, uh, hey, like the legal notes can be published in, you know, the March um, March of 2023 and it's going to be in this law review. And, and uh, so I was big time excited about that. And then also... My article on abeyance agreements, which will be the feature article for the November by Delta Kappen Journal, um, you know, I was sharing back with her and I said, I don't know what your timeline is to, you know, have all of the article done in citations. But like if you could wait until, um, you know, the first week in October, that article will be out. Right. And then you can cite to what has a high source value. So it's a journal, right? A research journal. So if you're citing it as a, um, in a legal note, it has more weight, right? Than just kind of interviewing somebody. So she said, yeah, I can definitely do that. So I was like, yes. So it was all great. And then um, the second one, I'm not going to identify who the person was, but it, it was an official with um, a state, not my state, a state, not an estate, not inheriting anything. But, uh, and this is somebody I have been, um, in a little bit of quasi communication with regarding school safety. And, uh, I, I think there was a misinterpretation. I think this person thought I was, was critiquing their, their state in kind of a negative way, which I wasn't, I was actually saying, this is a really thorough, good model. Um, and that person had called me, which I kind of anticipate they would because I had contacted them and I actually called, left a message, but you know, and the first thing was I had to get a lot of approvals before I could call you. <laughs> so, so I'm like, all right, so what's that all about? You know, well, if I quote things right, or if I put things in a, in a journal article or, you know, record things, I'm like, well, dude, we're all cool. You know, I'm not going to, that's not my game. And and by the way, like, this is a friendly conversation and, and stuff like that. But, uh, but yeah, pretty, a pretty high ranking official in another state said, you know, I just had to, you had to go through uh, like quite a protocol, just be, just to be able to call you here from on a state line, right? So and I'm like, yeah, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Um, I, but I kind of understand why that happens, right? Because you know, I've been on PBS, I publish and things like this. You don't want to, you don't want to be misinterpreted. Um, and and again, that wasn't was happening at all. But uh, but with that said, like there are things like in my state that I'm not a big fan of at all. So <laughs> like. You know, I get done teaching my students and I always wonder, and I know in the past, like, you know, a student has gone back to the Department of Public Instruction. So this, this is what Dr. Proen said. And the Department of Instruction, you know, contacts me and says, well, you know, we're not, it's, not, it's not exactly our position. I'm like, well, 
you know, it is what it is, right? I'm not going to change what I said. And, you know, like someone asked me, why is the guidance on the state web page from 2013? I'm like, well, it's because like this, the reauthorization of special education law was supposed to happen and it didn't, and the state's not really updating until the feds do, which kind of makes sense. But again, same thing, you have to do your job, right? You have to, so, um, but you know, it's kind of funny. It just is, it's funny. Like, uh, it just is. So yeah, today I'm going to talk about one of the epic, um, not fails, not a, it's not a fail, but it was one of the most substantial, um, kind of, uh, falling off the ladders of my professional career. And I want to, to preface this with, um, a statement that I copied off the internet and it is don't confuse a single defeat with a final defeat. And that plays into talking about this dissertation defense today. Do not confuse a single defeat with a final defeat because this was not a final defeat, but it was definitely a single defeat. So yeah, um, it's crazy. So bring up the main mic there. Um, they're bringing up the main cam. So let me go over to the chat and then I'm, I'm going to get, I'll tell you the story. So a shout out to um, CNT Designs. So what in the world is going on here? Here we go. Um, all right. Yeah, with StreamYard. Um, oh, there's been a lot of a lot of chat so far. Yeah. Uh, primary camera is left to right inverted. Oh, man. Um, okay. Is left to right inverted. Uh, all right. Um, does this make a difference? Hang on. I, for some reason, like, you know, 180 episodes, never had this issue. Um, now it's an issue. Um, is that better? Yeah, it is. It fixed it. It did. So, well, thank you, Spambot Fodder, for bringing my attention to that. But in order to fix it, I had to go in and flip horizontally, which doesn't seem like that would be the solution, right? But here we go, and it's fixed. That is crazy. But ever since I upgraded to UCAM 10, which, again, is like UCAM 9, but worse, um, I've had nothing but these quirky issues. So if you're in the market for, you know, software like that, so UCAM is basically the software I use to record short videos I use for class and things like that. But, uh, um, yeah, it's not that it's it's um, herky-jerky, you know, type of stuff. It's just it's this weird thing, like, you know, flipping horizontally the background and some stuff. like. Plus, like, the features on it are nowhere close to what it was marketed as being able to customize it was like do do your makeup you know while you're doing a show so yeah not really so um i thought it would would knock off some of the white balance stuff i'd be able to kind of kind of correct it in the software but not so my friends um let's go out there so some of you might have seen the uh, bolo did the the short that i dropped today so that didn't do real well like 30 views but i dropped a couple Shorts, one had a 1,000 views and one had 2.4 thousand views in the last week. So I think it's just whether it's topic and timing, but uh, but yeah, and it's to get the watch hour, not the watch hours, the shorts aren't doing anything there, but they're 
getting more channel views. And you know, this show had like 35 channel, 35,000 channel views like two weeks ago. Now we're at 42,000. I've been doing this six years. <laughs> so, so you know, kind of doing these different things, these these different approaches. Oh, by the way, I have a guest on October 10th. Um, I, I'm not going to do the formal announcement of the name yet, but it is a uh, it's a lady who is a fitness trainer in the Seattle area. She confirmed today, August or October 10th, she's going to come on the show. And we have been uh, communicating back and forth. And she's going to talk about like what motivates people to um, for fitness and exercise, right? And specific to when I wrote the the velocity of information, so it should have been a strategy that we used at the start of the pandemic. And uh, so she's going to say, here's what works. And here's like, if you're younger, older, if you're doing, you know, family and, and like, you know, how to keep people interested for 30 days. And it's not, it's again, she's not going to try to like, you know, convince you to log in to this like website she has or anything like that. It's, it's really good. Um, so I, I'm excited. Um, and so that's out there. Um, the safe deck, I cannot comprehend why people want to watch vertical video. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's weird because I tend to hold the camera initially horizontally. I have to turn it vertical in order to get the, get the stuff. So, um, shout out, Hey, Misty, Mrs. Wayne and Ron and Zippy and ding, ding safety. I hoping you're okay. Um, about the failure. I failed three dissertations. Oh my goodness. I didn't know that. So yeah, I was totally fine with it. So a little spoiler there, like, but it, it, it was very strange and, you know, we'll get in, we'll get into that. And it was also at a time in life when I really wasn't honestly failing at anything. I'd just been on, well, not just been, but I'd been on PBS, right? Um, I, I could kind of tilt my reality toward myself. Like I just was having, I had a lot of professional clout. Um, things were going really well. Not that things aren't going well now, they're going fine. It's just, I'm doing different things right now, but it was a very strange, unanticipated, um, loss, right? <laughs> It'd be like, if you go to the betting, if you go to the Las Vegas odds with David be able to defend his dissertation, you know, like no one was betting on that. Cause they're like, of course he's going to, there's be no problem with that. And then, you know, so if you're the person that bet $10, you want a million. And uh, it was weird. It was weird. So I'll tell you that that story. But it could have been, um, you know, so, kind of psychologically, you know, put a year into a dissertation and all this big thing. And then, and then you not only just fail, but you fail in front of people, right? Thankfully, it wasn't recorded, but um, you just, it's, it was weird. And then how you, how, how I address that and then how I bounce back and then, um, and, and then, yeah, it, so it'll be interesting. You'll you'll hear that. So um, I hear you've angered the gods of academia once again, and they're always angry at me, except the university where I instruct where they greatly appreciate me. I was professor of the year last year, for goodness sake. Plus, with this feature article in Phi Delta Kappa, and it associates me with the university. David is a professor and at the university. And, and so, again, it's more, um, it, it's shining a bright light at them, too. Uh, so... That's a that's a great thing to have a, a, a one of the, probably the best policy the b best policy piece I've ever written, um, you know to have that uh, showcased. So you know that's that's really cool. Your guitar should be on the left. So did we fix it? Um, so all right, Adam. I don't know what I'm going to do pretty soon. I have to. Videos, camera stuff is getting crazy. Um, 
So here we go. Um, Bolo's saying, um, just make sure you use three-phase 270 volt just in case the children are still alive. Oh, my goodness. We'll tell you what. Um, you know, for for the context of this video is there's a, the, a power substation in this newer subdivision, and then they put the playground in next to the substation. So the substation was there. And then they started Billy's homes and they put this playground and it's not super close, but it's close enough. Um, and you look and there were a lot of areas they could have put this playground. Plus there really isn't parking, um, you know, in that neighborhood, like for this place, it's just, it's, you can tell, like it's the, it's the area you'd be like, we're never going to build here, right? We're not going to be able to sell this. No one's going to put a house here. They should have just made a green space. And there were a, many other areas they could have put this this playground um, or even like moved it down further and put some, you know, some trees and kind of barriers because it's one of those things, right? You never know, you know, a kid kicks a ball into there, throws a Frisbee into there. Um, it just seems like uh, it was, so I did this, this short of, you know, that substation and then the playground is right next to it that you'd look at that and say, ah, oh, we're not going to, we're not going to do that. Like there were other choices available. It's not like the substation came in afterwards. The sequence was substation got put in all these signs, barbed wire, you know, but still right. You know, um, it, it's just, it just seems uncomfortably close to the playground that came in afterwards. So CNT designs. So CNT designs, and I'm going to just bring this up over here. Look in the back, buddy. Pretty soon, something from CNT designs is going to be back there. So, um, Bolo. Um, well, massive uptick. I'm used to seeing. So it's our good friend Bacon from the Greater Inglewood area. Bacon, Andrew, never bet favorites. Go for underdogs. Yeah, you would have done well that day. Betting against Doc. I don't know how many people do that. Probably a lot. You already fixed it. Good. Um, this is too close for a substation. Yeah, that is too close to. Uh, so the substation again, or, originally there. So the substation was built a couple of years ago, and uh, and then and just recently, right, this playground with the homes, you know, was put there. I'm like, and it just it's weird because like to get to the playground, you have to take a trail that goes within ten feet of the fence of the of the thing, you know, of the substation, the power station. So it just doesn't make sense to have kids that close, um, you know, to that because uh, again, something happens, a frisbee, a ball, or or whatever, or just like some weird curiosity, right? It just it just doesn't. We I don't know. Um, it's not good. Um, so cheap land, but yeah, the substation is is on very cheap land, um, and then yeah. Yeah, no, Ron, you're right. How, how you know, ki uh, kids can be, or you have, um, you know, kids with uh, autism, right, who kind of wander or, or seek out, like, you know, technology, like equipment and stuff like that. I don't, I don't know. Granted, there's like a sight line, you you know, going there, but I just, I don't like it. Like, I, it's one of those things that you, you I always ask, and, you know, I'm kind of thinking in my mind, like, who was at the meeting, like, when this was proposed, right? <laughs> And saying, here's where we'll put this. And someone said, well, but that's, you know, kind of like right next to the substation. Could we put it like down here a little bit or across the road on an area that yet still has to be developed? Um, that that looks like that would have worked out pretty well. And, and plus, it's not really like, 
in the center of the subdivision, um, it's like you've got to go down. Like the way the subdivision's developing, the playground's even not itself in a really good location versus there's a really big playground, um, you know, one eighth of the mile up the road, if that. And, and that all has like a paved walkway to it. So I don't, I don't think that that playground really needed to even be there. But if it was going to be there, I think they had other ideas, uh, other places I could have put it. But I just think it's, I was just like, I got to do a short on this because is it just me who sees this? And it's like, what in the world? Or is it Heath or Bolo or Swamp Dog so, or Misty? So Swamp Dog is like, I got to get out of here. I'm doing some Swamp Dog talk. I got to be on your show soon. Um, so, yeah. All right. So let me tell you, let me tell you guys the story here. And then I'm going to give a shout out over here to the, the to the cam, to the, uh, that is, that is the, uh, the safety. What is it? The, uh, what do I have in there? So, um, the safety cam, there it is. So, all right, let's, let's get out of the safety cam and just kind of get in the, the real world big setup here. So, um, 2016, it was May, May 2nd, 2016. Um, I went in to defend my dissertation at UW-Madison. So what is a dissertation? When you do a PhD, um, you have, it's about a year. It can be longer, right? I mean, but like working at a pretty good clip, it's a year. It's a huge research project. My PhD is actually, I'll show you guys, it's right here in hard copy. This is 167 pages. Note, it's just black, right? And on the back it's black and then the name name is on the in gold leaf, which is kind of weird because you know you think they put it on the front. I had to order this, by the way, like they sell you your dissertation afterwards, um, which I think is one of the gimmicks. Like this is probably a hundred bucks. And I think I have two of them. You know, you think after you get your dissertation, it's going to be really important to buy a couple of your books. Like no one will ever read this. There's a copy at the university. Um, you know, you don't go on Amazon and say, oh, can I get Dave's dissertation? So but it's well done. But <laughs> so, you know, this is the only time I've, I've ever accessed it after I graduated, um, you know, well, after it arrived. But it's kind of neat. It's 167 pages, which was the longest thing I'd ever written, you know, at the time. But yeah, so it's my dissertation. So I had the dissertation um, done. You know, all of the research done, you go through all the approvals. I'll kind of talk through that process, but once, once, I, and then uh, you go and you defend your dissertation. So that is, that is a very tense process. Um, you go into a room and actually, this was a beautiful room, all glass walls, and it overlooked like a concourse study area. I mean, that building had gone through like $100 million, literally, in renovations, like just before then. I mean, it's just really cool. By the way, thanks for the thumbs up and and uh, for the likes. And I appreciate that. Certainly do. Very much so. Um, so, yeah. So, I am there. It is, you know, like 9 o'clock in the morning. And I am I am ready to go. Right, I meet with my advisor. So, um, you know, you're assigned an advisor, and you know the advisor is um, is someone who's been with you since the start of this and has helped you put your research questions together and look through your paper and all of that stuff. And 
Um, so it's your advisor and there's four other people. And these are people that you invite or that I invite it to be on my committee. And they all have to be professors. And one of them could be outside the university as a professor. Like I'm on somebody somebody's dissertation committee who's in Florida, for example. But, uh, but you know, these are all people that I picked, right? So, and they, they agreed. And um, so, uh, you know, you come into this and I don't know if it was 15 or 20 slides, but you have, you have a, a small number of slides, of PowerPoint slides to, um, that you can use. And, and then I, I think it can, the dissertation at defense itself can go up to like two hours. But um, I sat in on a number of these before I did mine. And it's every committee is different. Like a committee might stop somebody a couple minutes in and then just like keep asking them questions. Well, how did you do this? Or how did you or tell us more about this or whatever? And then they might say, you're good to go. Like, congratulations, Dr. Simonson or whatever. And, uh, and I've seen others where, you know, it, you know, the person goes through the whole presentation and I never saw one that went bad though. So you sit in and, and these are tense things because like you think if you don't pass it, right, you just spent a year of your life, which is, it's like, I mean, when I wrote my books, the dissertation wasn't as consuming as writing the books, um, but it was like close to that, right? And I was also new. So by, by the time I wrote both books, School of Errors of Lost of Information, I understood the research process and again the books are private through you know publishers so you had to get those approved and and you know this was a university project and and stuff like that so it's a little bit different but um so i go in there and here's the thing you can bring somebody to support you so or you can you can invite a couple people there i invited my priest i invited my priest so um Think about that. So, you know, a good friend. And, and I said, hey, you know, would you, Gary, would you, you know, come in? And he's just, you know, he's an upbeat person. And here's something else. Like the the committee expects you to bring in um, a lunch for them and snacks. It's, it's, I would, I don't know if it, well, it's an informal rule, right? But of course, your, your advisor is saying, make sure they bring in, you know, don't skip on the food and uh, refreshments and, and stuff like that. So you're probably dropping $100 easily on feeding these people who are going to judge you then, right? It's kind of like it's kind of like being in court, right? And you're in your there and the jury has to make a decision on whether you're innocent or guilty and you're bringing them, you know, a gourmet pizza. Um, it's really, it, it's weird. Um, actually, I don't like that. I think in... I, it didn't sit well with me. Um, and today I think it really doesn't resonate with me at all. I think that should be completely just not a part of your dissertation defense that you're expected to bring in, you know, food and stuff for the the committee that's basically listening to you for an hour or two. Um, so, but yeah, so there's unwritten rules. So, you know, the, the priests, you know, my friend Gary brings in, brings in a really nice meal for these people. Um, and then other professors can watch, right? Because maybe it's a topic they're interested in. Um, other students who are likely going to be going through the dissertation process, the defense. Um, so the defense is the last step. If you can defend your research, then they, the teams, your committee signs off on a warrant. It's called a warrant. That's kind of weird, right? A warrant. And then you can, um, and then you take your warrant up to the, 
you know, registrar and whatever, and they, they give you your degree. Like they're like, you are now, you know, Dr. Proden and, you know, you attend graduation and all of that stuff, but, um, which I never did. So you get your warrant, they sign off and you get your warrant, then you're done. Nothing else you have to do. So this is like the last step. So there was nowhere in this process, by the way, where my advisor's like, you know what? I've, <laughs> first of all, he never said like, I've never seen this not go well. So, you know, that was interesting, but yeah, and he's never like, you know, this is, this is, you know, he didn't have any, he had no doubt that this was going to go very well. And I had no doubt because I had presented again on PBS before a live audience. Um, I was very well known at the university. And I think that actually worked against me. And I'll, I'll get into how that, how that kind of happened here. So, so we get into this room and the committee's there and whatever. And then, you know, the formalities, the introductions, and they're eating my food and stuff like that. And then um, there's some other people there, right? Um, and I start to do my defense. So I have my 15 slides or whatever. And I, what happened was I was doing my, my dissertation was on the topic of high stakes decision-making in rural and suburban school context. And first of all, like I wanted to do something where I could use it then like in school of errors. I knew I'd, I'd probably be writing a book at some point. I could use it in presentations. And I didn't want to, I mean, there are people who do PhD dis dissertations that I think are the value is pretty useless. So <laughs> here's an example, you know, like somebody did their dissertation and it was on here are the characteristics of, um, you know, effective school boards. And I looked at that and said, well, that's pretty useless, right? Because um, the school board is voted in. So that always has turnover in it. And, you know, you, so what are you going to find out? I mean, what is like, what kind of study is that? Um, you know, you could say, well, people that tend to be on a board longer tend to have this continuity. Well, that's all, but then everyone could be voted on and, and, and off. Right. Or someone did something like the history of mascots, you know, or, or, you know, how mascots came to be. I'm like, well, who cares? I mean, that's an interesting story. I might read that as a story that might be an interesting, you know, 30 minute thing on PBS. It's not a dissertation. So I wanted to do a very rigorous, intense dissertation where I'd be out, you know, in, in the nitty gritty of, of, you know, policies and, and uh, interviewing people in their districts and, and everything. So I wanted it to be very difficult. So it was a technically very difficult dissertation to assemble and, and project to do which was good, right? Because I, I wanted that just like my books, right? You know, that's 471 citations in the velocity of information. Um, so I'm in there and, and I start going in about 10 minutes in, 10 minutes in one of the prominent uh, faculty at the university, but not my advisor says, I've heard enough. We're ending this. We're stopping. And I'm like, Whoa, that was wild. So, um, and I look at my advisor and like, and then everybody gets up and, and then of course they're grabbing the food and take it with them, but, uh, they get up and they leave and my advisor stays and the, uh, the, you know, pr my friend, the priest, and then like the, the students who are there. And I think that terrified. I mean, imagine you're a student and you're like, Oh, I want to see how a dissertation works. And you just see someone get shut down in 10 minutes. Right. And, uh, so I'm sit, I'm, I'm there standing and everybody just walks past me. And then, you know, 
my advisor, my advisor's just, he's stunned. And he's, he's like, um, you know, uh, Dave, I'm going to go back to my office, uh, you know, come back after you've got your stuff kind of collected here, you know, laptop and stuff. And, and, uh, you know, we'll talk and, and, um, and then I, I guess in the meantime, he had met with the committee. I don't know where the committee went, but he had met with the committee kind of saying like, what's going on here? Like you just, you just slammed the door on, on David. But, uh, so, I was talking then with my, I'm kind of like, what just went on? And my friend, uh, again, Gary, you know, it was the priest and, and Gary's like kidding. Like, you know, should we do last rites? And uh, you know, and then I said, Gary, did, what was going, did, what did I do? He's like, I don't know, man. I mean, cause he's not used to, to this thing, right? This whole, the dissertation, you know, process and whatever. So like, he didn't see any technical, you know, flaw in, in this or whatever that's there. So, um, it, so basically it's kind of done, you know, um, I, I pack up my, my backpack and, you know, people take off, uh, Gary takes off. He's like, it's just, you know, let me know how things work out. You know, really, you know, sorry that this is the way things are. And I'm still trying to figure out what went on, what, what went on here? You know, did I, I, was it the research that, there was a, some significant flaw in the research or the presentation. It's, it didn't seem like there was a bad vibe in the room, right? I, I'm a, I know a, a, how to present, you know, I've, I've been on big stages. I wasn't nervous. Um, this is usually pretty scripted, right? So like what went on? So, you know, that was the thing, like what, what went on, right? What went on? And um, so what happened was this, I, I met with my, advisor then you know like 15 20 minutes later he had just got done with like maybe a 10 minute meeting with the the other committee members and so and my advisor is just like shocked right because it's not good if you're an advisor to also have the person you're advising not pass their dissertation that reflects poorly upon you so i said what what's the deal and he said well like when you present it, you were talking about some school say a school shooting that happened, which did happen here in Wisconsin um, a couple days before my dissertation, right? So I didn't have it anywhere on a slide. I didn't have it in my, it wasn't part of my research, but I, I did this intro where I was kind of saying, this is why this work is relevant, which apparently you don't do. You don't bring in contemporary events um, that you hadn't cited anywhere before or talked about um, and, and it, so that was, that was apparently, you know, like the fatal flaw is I came in and, and was trying to talk about these relevant events and they're like, well, that's not what you research, right? <laughs> you didn't research what happened last week. You researched all these other things, which you already deemed, you know, were important in the committee. So like for you to start off this way is, is significantly out of protocol. And, you know, so with that, I was like, well, you know, I talked to my advisor. I said, well, how, how did they not, um, how did they not give me a chance to restart? Right. Why didn't they just talk to you, have me step out of the room, you know, talk to you and say, Hey, like have Dave just give like his presentation. Like we don't need any of this, you know, um, walk up music of why this is important because there was a shooting, you know, hundred miles from here in a, in a school. So, um, which I thought would have been the appropriate thing to do, right? They had nothing else in their schedule and they had plenty of food. And, uh, and no, that wasn't, that wasn't the way that it went. So that was my thing. I was, I was kind of angry, not angry, but I was like, um, I, I didn't think professionally it was the right way to handle it. Um, and, and I think 
they and they also had everything ahead of time so they knew like what i had done right because you get copies to people at a time in the committee so i think to just say listen um you know or, or either directly to me or to my advisor saying this isn't the way this is supposed to go so start over um and you know we know what you're maybe you're trying to do and and so that was weird that they just like walked out and said boom it's over by the way like grab the rest of the the meal on the way out so that irked me because you know again i had been on pbs i had written several prominent papers and journals i was a you know star student right i also had a big position in a district that was close by and and so it was it really it really got to me and um again because i i thought okay if this is if this is like a procedural mistake that i made you know it's like a false start you know, false start doesn't mean you lose the game, right? <laughs> you get penalized if you know five yards and and you know replay it down. And uh, there wasn't anything in my mind that was that catastrophic, nor in the mind of my advisor or Gary, the priest who was there. He's like, I didn't see any, I didn't see any big fumble, you know, that you that you made here. Um, I didn't, I didn't pick up on anything. So. Um, so yeah, so there I am, and I'm thinking, well, what's next, right? I didn't expect this to happen. Uh, so you know, I I think personally, um, I can tell you officially then kind of what came out of it. But I think I think some of it was I was researching something that was in my area of expertise. Although like this wasn't this this uh, right my my dissertation right here, which again like who, I mean this is like a hardcore you know, hardcover and stuff. I mean, but who doesn't, you know, like you get these from ProQuest. Again, they're like a hundred bucks in your dissertation. There's one at the library at the university, but uh, why wouldn't you have your, you know, the university logo and your your title on the front real big? I mean, this is just weird looking. And again, they, they sell these to you afterwards and then they sell you like all, they try to sell you all these additional things with your, um, your, your, PhD. I forget what it is. All, all these little goofy trinkets and stuff. Um, and I kind of knew, by the way, I was going to take this in my PhD and spin part of it into a book. Um, so this is where a, a little bit gets to be like, I wonder if I came in with uh, more positionality than most students, right? Again, I had been on PBS, which none of the faculty had been on PBS. Nobody in my committee was, you know, had been had a one hour special dedicated to them on national PBS. Right. So, um, you know, I, I had a lot of these, these things kind of already behind me and I don't know if it was to, to bring me down a notch, if there was a little bit of that going in there. Um, I don't know. Um, it was, it was kind of, it was strange with that regard. So the other part of that was, so, you know, my advisor, you know, just kind of said, let me, let me, I'm going to talk to people individually and we'll try to figure out, you know, where to go with this. Cause I'm like, do I have to defend again? Like, um, how does that work? Like, I've never heard about, I never anticipated this. So, you know, he's like, I'll get back to you. Um, so let me take a break there and go over to the, to the chat. So, yeah. So I'm, I'm, uh, um, I have a single defeat here, which is a pretty sentinel defeat when you are going <laughs> and, you know, you, it, again, it wasn't, it wasn't the research itself. 
I mean, the research was extremely sound. Um, and I mean, I had massive amounts of, uh, you know, transcribed interviews and I was traveling all over to get this information and, and things, but, um, it was the presentation, right? You didn't follow, follow the protocol. And, and, um, to me, that was, that, um, that shouldn't have been a flaw, which ended this, uh, the ability to make the defense, but, uh, so let's go over here to the the chat know your audience yeah and these were all people again i had selected and and it was just it was weird it was kind of led by it was led by one person the decision to to go with it and everybody but i was to that point in my life i don't think i'd ever had anything like that happen to me um and i knew like from meetings that i was in and stuff and i mean now like more more big scale things that i've been in like professionally i wouldn't do that I mean, sitting on a committee, I would not do that to anybody, you know, unless they obviously came to the to the dissertation defense uh, disorganized, right? Um, or if they were, um, you know, fumbling over their words and thoughts, you know, then I might say, hey, you know, let's take a five minute break um, and just kind of settle in and, and let's keep, you know, let's keep going, right? Um, it's so those types of things, which I would just think would be my personal standard protocol, um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do things that, that way. That wouldn't be me. So, so that's, that's where, you know, that, that's where it was, I don't know. I don't know if it was upsetting. I mean, I wasn't, it's not like going to cry. But I was just like surprised and then miffed, right? Come on. Um, so let's do, um, can't the story also analyze data, which is also what a dissertation is? Be, yeah. Well, right. I mean, I, I so nobody kind of knew I was going to do this like intro to it. And I didn't know it either because it had just happened in the state and I thought it was relevant. So like in a lot of things I would do, I would try to bring in very, very relevant information. Like this dissertation is, is enhanced by the fact that right last week there was a shooting in this district in our state, right? Um, and, and that seems like it had things to do with high stakes decision on, you know, the school administrators making decisions. And so, I mean, it was relevant. So I was trying to, to cr create that. So like why this research is relevant, maybe that, and that's, so again, it's out of protocol. And again, I don't know if that's what other people do because I mean, again, if you're studying, if you're doing your dissertation on here's the history of, of mascots in Wisconsin or effective school boards or something like that, I'm like, I look at those and say, I don't care. Like if, you know, um, I don't think those add much value to anything. So, I mean, really I can, I could probably go down, you know, 50% of the dissertation topics and really look at that and say, really, like, this is what you're going to, do like you'll learn the process of research, right? And writing, but is are you really contributing to the knowledge base? Like, is this really that deep and challenging? Um, and again, like the school board one, like I don't I didn't like that one. And there were some similar to it because I said yeah, it's beyond your control, right? Like, you know, what contributes to people feeling great outside? Well, a sunny day. Okay, well, okay, but like, well, you can't control the sun, right? You can't control sunny a sunny day. And a board, you can't control who gets elected onto a board, right? That's a, um, so these big pieces where like what I studied, nobody else had, there wasn't any research existing in the area. I, I brought it into a book. I brought it into PBS presentations. So it was relevant, 
you know, I was doing big presentations on this all across the country. So I wanted to do something that was going to benefit um, my work and then also add to the school safety knowledge base. So anyway, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I thought my walk-up music was was good, but uh, when, I, when I'm when i at Big Swamp Dog Swamp Pack meetup event, I'll serve a big pot of taco soup. Oh, oh God, that sounds great. They didn't like the food. No, they did like the food. The food was excellent. Um, yeah, so my my they were even like really impressed. Um, so it was a, it was, you know, it wasn't uh subway. Right. So they, they were really impressed. Uh, but that's, I know that's, that's kind of funny. That does sound odd that they would just uh, cut it short. Oh, you struck her on. Yeah. Cause, um, right bacon, like it normally would go one to two hours and then to go 10 minutes and then just have this, we're done. And everybody get up and leave and like, no one say anything to me. Like I was, I was flabbergasted by that flabbergasted. Um, because again, that's just not the way I would, would operate. Um, and I, yeah, I guess I could even see where they, they could end it and then just say, you know, there, there were these airs or whatever, but I don't know. It was just, it was just strange. Um, and yeah, so Sounds like someone had an idea in mind beforehand already. I don't, I mean, maybe I, I, I think looking back, um, I was presenting uphill walking into that room. Right. And not to say like people, oh, people are jealous and stuff like that, but, um, but what other student do you have that comes in? Right. Who might've, who had a PBS feature, right. And had some other stuff in the works. And, um, so, there, this whole thing of um, kind of a positionality, the you know, like the institution having more power than the individual. I don't know if that was there initially when I presented. Not that I'm trying to use power and things like that, but um, I think there, there, it was most students right that come in aren't going to have that already. And especially, I'm presenting on a topic where I'm a national expert. <laughs> I'm presenting on something that you know I know more than everybody in that room does. Right. And also like the legal system knows that too. Like, you know, I'm an expert witness, like they'll come to me. And, and so I think that also is a plays into this a little bit because, you know, if you're talking about, Oh, you know, like in um, school boards and, you know, best practices for administrative, you know, leadership and stuff, well, that's what everybody's wheelhouse is kind of in there. So when you get into school safety, like that's, you know, nobody's really thorough into those areas, especially back in 2016. So, Again, not to again. I made a procedural error, right? So they had the right to do what they did, but I think it was wrong the way that it was handled. And I really thought there should have just been a reset, right? You know, leave the room. We'll talk to your administrator. You talk to your advisor. Your advisor can meet with you for five minutes and come back in and just do your PowerPoint. Um, ah, governance and academia. I have ways to fix that. Whoa, Andrew saying some people don't want to stop school shootings because it helps their worldview goals. So um, interesting. And, you know, I'm, again, I think the committee member is full. The committee is fully behind the work that I'm doing. Um, it wasn't anything that came down to the pages, the 167 pages in here. It was a, you know, it was a procedural um flaw right so um are they supposed to be unbiased yes 
and they already had the work ahead of time. So, and I, again, I, I, they didn't say the work wasn't good. They said the presentation doesn't match the protocol because, right. I mean, I knew the work was good. Um, I've done this at such high levels and I put so much in, you know, time into this and stuff. So that wasn't the thing saying, oh, your procedures or the people you interviewed or your conclusion, your findings or all of that. Like that was all rock solid. Um, you know, so it was a procedural, a procedural error. And, you know, being from in a school setting, right, like for much of my career, a procedural error, and I talked about that with my law students this weekend, I said, you know, you have procedural errors, then you have criminal errors, right, in, in schools. So, you know, criminal errors, you're cooking the books and moving money where it shouldn't go or into your own pocket, right? Like that's, that's criminal. But a procedural error is that you haven't, you know, submitted something by a deadline or you didn't send out, you know, your invite of a notice for a special education meeting within a time frame. I mean, that's procedural. So those are things that, yeah, I mean, there's consequences for those and, and whatever, but you're not going to jail for procedural error. So, you know, this, again, this, this to me should have been the equivalent of, um, you know, a false start in football, you know. Okay, five yards and whatever, um, and so it it would just it just blew my mind. Um, I I think they handled it wrong, and I would being myself on, you know, dissertation committee. I I would I would not ever put anybody through that again. I'm strong. I didn't come out of there and tears. I was just like, what's next? Then you got to be kidding me. Um, but it is something that I I think was, I wouldn't say it was unprofessional, um, but I, I, I don't know what to, I don't know what to make of it. I don't really, I don't really care forensically because ultimately I did, but was granted the PhD and I don't have anything else I really do with the university. And, um, you know, it's not like there's a bad vibe between me and the university, but I, I do think this was, this should have been a learning experience for them too hopefully looking back and saying, you know, if this ever happens, right, like we should just stop it and do some coaching in the moment, even though it's a really high stakes situation. Um, because I, you know, I, I think the the person giving the dissertation deserves that. La laser, engrave your logo and title. Yeah, that would be, that'd be cool. I don't even, I mean, this thing, you know, go back on a shelf and stuff like that. Um, you know, now it's really the books and other things that I reference, but it is a very good piece of work though. Actually I went through and there are some things that I, I put together in my dissertation that are nowhere in my other works. And I'll get into that in a little, a little bit. So, um, and that dissertation has been cited many times around the, around the globe, right? You know, people, they pay for it, they download it through ProQuest and, and use it. So, um, it's just, you know, again, it's a good document. So, um, Doc's saying he wasn't a nobody. Uh, they just didn't respect the, you know, and I I want to be very careful on what I say here, right? Because I still, you know, have affiliations with the university. University promoted my books, you know, and um, for this policy article, I would expect that they're going to do similar, um, you know, promotion of, hey, you know, look at one of our graduates did this major piece in, in policy, which was working with the Pritzker Law School in Northwestern, which this could be a piece of the reauthorization of the Individuals with Disability Education. This is big stuff, like federal congressional law. 
I know like with my students this week, I was telling them, you know, you, you, you've got to see yourself differently, how you advocate and things like I, I work at this con congressional level on things and you can get there too. It's, it's, you have to just take these steps and like it, no one has ever kind of written even a letter to the editor. Right. And I'm doing working with entire university law departments on trying to change, um, you know, substantial federal law that, ha you know, ha impacts or has billions of dollars of funding to it and things like that. And probably have a pretty good chance to do it. Um, but yeah, there, there, there wasn't it, what to me, I felt disrespected. I felt disrespected because I felt I had not only through a student and working diligently and, and everything, um, I, I did feel disrespected. I felt that, you know, again, take some time, time, five, 10, 15 minutes, whatever, talk with my advisor, advisor talks to me, let me come back in and, and then try to, to deliver it, you know, without or, or align to the rules and order, Robert's rules and order, I guess, whatever, um, which I could do, right. I could do all of that. Um, and so, so yeah, it was, I don't know, going back, it's kind of hard, but I, I guess I could feel that a little bit in some of my university courses when I got to the end of, um, there was one class I had and it, we got onto the topic of school safety and something. And I already presented on PBS right now. I was already, you know, doing expert witness stuff. And, and so when I presented on something, um, you know, there were some people who were like, well, that's, that's the opinion. And right. Doc's, you know, or David, like just a student is doing whatever he says is probably right. And, um, you know, so, but again, I, I'm not the type of person that uses that to, um, to kind of like, you know, tell other people, well, you don't know as much as I do, or you don't have experience. That's not the type of person I am, you know, but it was weird. It was weird. Um, bad talk. You might be the most educated person listening to the dumb. So I think on this topic, I was by far in the room, the most, um, educated person on the topic, right? And it, because it was kind of a, a, a fringe niche area, right? And and I wasn't bringing anybody in who had this and is part of their, you know, like here I study, you know, these these are my four areas of study. Like nobody actually had this as an area of study. So so I think there's also this part where I when I come in and present on this, um, I do know the most about it, right? But yeah, I don't know, it was weird. So, um, you're not dumb band. Hey, it's band band talk. Hey buddy. So band talk, you might have some listening you could do from your good friend here, the safety doc hint, hint. Um, so all pro Leventon, I'm going to be biking tomorrow. It's gonna to be 84 and humid. And that is likely our last 80 degree day here in Wisconsin for 2022. It does a sharp drop then down to like 60 and 58 and then it's like 10 days and, well, that's October and then forget that. So sounds like a BS disqualification. One person. Yeah. I don't want to say one person again, I, I respect the, the committee and, and maybe this is the way that it operates. You know, UW Madison is, or at least at that time, I can't, you know, I've been at the university since then 2016 when I left, but I mean, it was, it's a very prestigious university, right? So when you graduate from there, having, 
having a PhD from UW-Madison holds a lot of weight professionally for me. It held a lot of weight in my ability to get publishing contracts. Um, as an expert witness to have a PhD from Madison, like there are people who have PhDs, um, but if you know they can, if they're not from you know typically a prestigious university, they don't have as much weight into these areas. So I had a lot of things that that you know obtaining the PhD gain. By the way, only fifty percent of people who do a PhD or start a PhD program ever complete it. And people who do all the work but don't successfully defend or never defend the research, that's called all but doctorate. So you'll see after their like name, they'll put ABD, all but doctorate, doctorate, which is kind of a weird credential. Um, but that actually exists. So like, you know, to, to go through Madison and have a PhD in one of literally at the time, one of maybe the top three ranked programs in the country for policy analysis, it was a big, big thing. And it has been like it, it really, um, it, it, like for my university work, the additional courses that it offered up, the, the publishing stuff coming back to PBS in 2019, like all of those things were enhanced by the PhD. Although, like I did my 2013 PBS presentation without a PhD, when I was like the first person, like 40 like present specials to like do that without a PhD, but um, so. Um, doing good, Coop. This is band talk. So good. Um, yeah. Whose parking space did you take? I think it parked in. Yeah, parked in the ramp. If you did that today, you'd probably come back and your vehicle be stripped. So sounds like they rage quit for some reason. Um, yeah, no, it was. It, it was it was weird. It was led by one person, but the fact like nobody talked to me on the way out was just strange. Because I'm like, what did I what did I do? Um, but you know, again, like I'm a grown person, and and like I said, because I had my friend Gary, you know, our our priest, I, but you know, friend Gary, yeah, and I'm like, what 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 did you see? What went wrong? And he's like, I have no idea, right? <laughs> so. So, you know, I've got somebody there on scene who's like, I don't know, you know, it looked like a clear handoff to me. It didn't look like a fumble, you know. Um, so I'm like, what is, what went on? And he's like, I don't, I don't know. Um, late to figure out what's going on, but sorry you had a rough day. Sounds like redemption will be sweet. So, so yeah, yeah, it was, it was back in May, May, Two, 2016. It's betting ballistics. Hey, buddy. Um, sounds like somebody was jealous. Uh, somebody did tell me that who was in the room and observed that. And I'll, I won't say anything more than that. Um, all right. So let me go over to my notes, which are on my, my left here. Um, so I got done with the, uh, you know, I walked out of there, right? And then I met with my advisor like 15, 20 minutes later. And he said, okay, like, you know, here's what you did that they didn't like. He, I don't, he didn't say like, here's what you did wrong, right? He just, here's what you did. <laughs> Apparently they didn't like. And uh, and he said, you know, I'm going to be meeting with them and I'll call you like tomorrow. Because I was also like, well, dude, like, I need you to go to bat for me. You're my advisor. And, you know, you have to have some pull and sway with these people because this shouldn't have gone down this way. 
and he kind of knew that too. And, um, and I think he was kind of like looking at his colleagues of like, what did you do? You just kind of hung me out to dry here with one of my, you know, with one of my students, but, uh, and I'm an, again, I'm an established adult and the research itself is intact. Um, so what he does is he, um, he meets with the team or, or the committee, right? Apparently he's meeting individually. And then, you know, he's getting back to me. He says these types of things. Um, and then they wanted, a, a, um, they didn't. So I said, do we defend again? And he said, no, they don't want to, they don't want to do that, which I thought was really weird. And he said, um, they want you to make a couple changes, which again, was intact, right? But it was the procedural error. And then they wanted to do a, a couple changes, which are very minor and um, which typically would happen after a defense. They'd say, by the way, like change these things before you will sign the warrant. And so that was going to happen no matter what. And they didn't want to hear it. And basically they signed off on my warrant after I made a few of the changes. Again, the changes weren't the reason why they ended my dissertation. And then um, I never got the opportunity to defend it to them, um, which kind of felt weird, right? Because I thought, okay, so I'm going to have to come back. And nope, that wasn't part of it. And then so you, so they signed off and I met with my advisor. So all their, their signatures are there. This is like a week or two later. And then um, they give, then you get what's called a warrant, which is a sheet of paper that has all of your committee member signatures. And it says, you know, David has earned his PhD. And then you take it up to Old Main. So I had to walk up the hill from, from education building to Old Main. And then there's a person you give it to, right? And then um, that was, you know, pretty uneventful. Just me meeting with my advisor. I'm walking up. I give it to this person who was really nice, by the way. This person at Old Main was super nice. Oh, congratulations on your PhD and all this stuff. And it was, I remember it was like a third or fourth floor. And it was one of those, the building was built like in 1840 or something. So they, they had all these like doors where they split in the middle. So like only the top of the door would open or the bottom or you, you know how you could do that. So this person at the top of the door open. And then um, I had to go in there because my dissertation was on a thumb drive on a PDF. And then, um, so you had the warrant and then they have to upload the PDF and then they, they go through it with you, but really fast and then just make sure it formatted. Okay. And then, um, they keep the thumb drive and then it, it again, it goes to ProQuest and then they sell it back to you for a hundred dollars and like, no one can find it. You can find it now if you searched it, but you'd have to pay like, Twenty dollars to download it, so it's not like a. It's not like it really is a public resource. That's another thing that's really contradictory on a PhD. So, you know, you're going to contribute to the scholarly knowledge base and all of this. Well, at a price, right? For the people who want to get my research, I guess, kind of like my books too. But the books are private ventures. <laughs> I paid for my classes and things. You'd think there would be an option to make your PhD public, but there isn't. ProQuest gets a cut. Anytime somebody downloads my PhD, when they are researching school safety and probably citing my PhD, which is largely what happens, I can tell from Google Scholar. Um, so that's, I'm going to cut of that, right? So that is a strange monster right there. Um, so, so yeah, so it was this uneventful, you know, time of going up and walking up to the university and, you know, uh, or walking up to Old Main and handing you know this person and i appreciate like that person's excitement because i mean they didn't know who i was um 
and anything about the dissertation and stuff. They were just generally like a, that was a good person to interact with that day because I was like, that, that wasn't, I mean, everything kind of should have been celebrated beforehand. So, you know, I get up there and I did obtain the PhD and then the universities, you know, uh, wants you to attend graduation. Well, I had no intention of doing that in the first place. Um, I graduated many times before, right? I had a bachelor's and two masters before then. And I wasn't going to go to um, the Cole Center with, you know, 17,000 people, you know, uh, graduates and families and stuff. And it just wasn't my thing, right? Um, I wasn't until that. By the way, my unit, my diploma is still in a mailer. I was going to get it out and I should have, but it's, <laughs> it's in a file next to me. It's still in the ma uh, mailer that the university sent to me. It wasn't a protest. I wasn't going to attend this anyway. Um, but now is the first time what, like six years later that I'm actually going to get the diploma out and buy a frame and uh, put it up on the wall and back me. Um, so I brought up my other diplomas, you know, that had been done a long time ago. And um, I'm going to actually take the PhD and, and uh, get that out on the wall because why not? I mean, it's not doing anything anyway, but, um, but yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of weird stuff. So um, yeah. Um, let's see what's over here in the, the, the chat. So, um, Zippy saying academia is such a scam. IP rights, not your rights. Laugh out loud. Yeah. From that point, you know, I, I, it's kind of like when I was talking about the, um, Homeland Security and the lost person app so that, you know, they, they put this together, but then like, if you go on and you're trying to get the app, it's $9 and 95 cents. I'm like, how does that make sense? Right. <laughs> How is that not free? Um, so, you know, just one of those crazy things. But yeah, that your, your, you know, stuff. Now, because I'm also a university professor at a private university, I have access to all of these dissertations through my university login, right? I get to the university library. So that was a bit, uh, it was a big benefit on um, actually both of my books, but probably more so with the velocity of information was I could find stuff that was behind paywalls because as a university faculty member, my I had access to all of those things. Um, so that was that was a big plus. So I can actually see my dissertation as a professor, but I can't see it as David PhD not affiliated with the university. So it's kind of a weird it's a weird thing. So I look at that and I was kind of like, you know, this is this doesn't sit well with me. Um, you know, it just leaves a bad bad taste in my mouth. Um, so. CNT saying uh, academics think they're all the keepers of the keys to truth and they don't like it when someone not in the club knows more than they do. So, you know, and I, I, I really took some punches at the university um, structure in School of Airs of saying, you know, the university, you know, they put together, so CNT, uh, all these um, professional standards for education learners and I have an entire chapter devoted to that and I said it's such garbage because it's all vague stuff and doesn't help anybody get better like when I come into class you know and I say like here's how you can get you know FEMA to come to your school district to train your high school kids how to do a search and rescue after a tornado or how to get like out of a car that's been crashing like that's useful stuff right but you know but if you talk about um, professional standards of education education learning and then oh you know how yeah, we should focus on a safe environment and, you know, a welcoming environment. Like, well, what does that all mean? Right. So I really was critical on that. And then also I was just critical of the university structure having gone through, right. 
at the highest level and said, you know, um, a lot of these people are pretty disconnected from what's really happening out there. And, you know, so one of my professors, for example, did a, did a huge amount, multi-million dollar research in poverty in communities, right? And one of the communities where they had a site, um, they were, it was okay. It was a food desert. They didn't have, you know, grocery stores there. So that was some things that they, they, I mean, there were some things that they were able to facilitate and help put together. But when the grant ran out, the site, which I went to, the site just reverted to the way that it was before the grant. Like in a year, it completely went back. Nothing the grant did had sticking power. I, and I remember talking with one of the professors about that. I'm like, you were, you know, you were a big part of this. And he said, well, it's just the way that it is there. It's a hard thing to change. And I'm like, well, that's that doesn't cut it, right? You can't just say that. You can't just take millions of dollars and, you know, through this thing of inventory, you know, these resources and maybe, you know, some after-school programs or or something to to come in to provide more fruits and vegetables because of this, this food island, I don't know. But And then the fact that the money runs out and it goes away means there was nothing sustainable that was built there. And, you know, so I was like, that doesn't like, that doesn't make sense. Like how, but you know, these places, I, they're not accountable. Um, nobody looks after the fact of, you know, what was the lasting change. And, and even if it doesn't stick, I think you got to approach it. Like I would, I would take it much more personal. I'd be like, Oh God, like I, when I work with my students at the university level, I mean, I am a hell of a teacher, right? I mean, we go through and there's a ton of redundancy and people can call me afterwards and, you know, interagency agreement, how you understand your community is and how you do this and how you do that. And, uh, you know, and I'm like, uh, and I would, I would feel like if I got done with, with my students and they weren't able to carry that forward or something in their districts or other qualitatively interviewing students or whatever, I feel like, oh man, like, I didn't make the impact I thought I was going to make or what's working the system versus just kind of walking away from it. So, so anyway, you know, I, I, I was like, Whoa. Um, and then, yeah, it was just this weird, um, it, at that time I just wanted to be done. Right. And that, I, I made that very clear to my advisor. I said, you know, listen, this stuff didn't go, not only it didn't go well, but this wasn't in my perspective, even professional. Um, so, but I've done everything I need to do, man. And you need to step up and help me get the final step, which is the diploma, right? And the, the other thing is, I think I made it pretty clear to the university. So what the university wants in general is they want people who want to be professors. And I had always been a part-time professor. Well, I, I was a part-time professor at the time I did my defense and I probably taught 50 classes at that point. But, um, but, you know, after I got the PhD, then I jumped up to the top legal classes and, and you know, kind of those things, because with a PhD, that opens up doors to all of that stuff. But, uh, but you know, and I made it pretty clear that wasn't the route I was going. I was more independent, right? I was doing my own consulting, my own expert witness stuff. And I was also representing plaintiffs against school districts. So I did have, again, some people kind of quietly told me, not quietly told me, but they were, they didn't loudly tell me and they, they kind of through informal channels of, you know, you kind of went against the grain of, of what the program does and just what the, the structure of things is. Um, and, and I don't know, you know, 
but at the same time, like I'm, I'm thinking like, I'm the, I'm like one of the, I mean, they've been really good to me in promoting, you know, the books that have come out and stuff like that. So, and, and I did go down, they asked me to do like a guest lecture a few years ago and I went down and, but you know, it's, it's one of those things that I don't do anything. Um, you know, it's like being traded from a team like Peyton Manning off of the Colts and you go to like Denver. It's like, I don't really have much of a tie anymore back to, to the Colts. And I didn't, and I, I didn't need the university after that. Um, to be frank. I mean, I, there wasn't, I wasn't going to back, going to go back and try to work at the university. I never had done that. It was never part of the goal. And the university I was with then, you know, I continued to do good things and like the books and stuff elevated me, um, into, you know, these upper level 700 level legal classes. So everything worked the way that I was hoping it would work. Um, but it's just weird. Asked one too many, our cannibal friend here saying, sounds like every government program for me. Oh my goodness, Sast. Yeah. Um, wow. Bullo's saying, all your convention belong to us. Wow. So, Zippy. IP rights is a fulcrum of the system and monopolies keep everyone down. So, um, so, so let me t tell you about, a little more about this, uh, just the dissertation process. So if you're not familiar with it and the PhD process, because I wasn't before I got in. So in education, for example, um, you will see people that'll have an education degree, which is ED after their name. Um, and in that degree, you don't do a dissertation defense. So it's kind of like everything I talked about without having to do the research in the defense. Most of, most of the programs don't have that, but uh, I guess a handful could. But typically in the real world, um, an education, an ED degree would work well if you're a principal or superintendent. It's not going to work well if you're a professor. So um, I think it has limited value. And I, I absolutely did not even consider going down that route with a different university. It's not, it doesn't take as much time, but again, I give, if you're a principal, um, having, being able to be called doctor, right. And have this educational degree, um, you know, might be, you know, what you want it might affect your pay scale and stuff like that, but it was never even something I thought about. Um, so again, I had a very, very rigorous PhD. I learned a lot. I, I learned how to do, um, citations, right. So, you know, all of this research, how to, how to boil it down, um, that existed. And one of, one of the things too, is my, my advisor, and this was a, a kind of a watershed moment for me. My advisor said to me, um, said, cause I, I was saying, like, I don't know, you know, I'm trying to interpret the research of whatever this person, this person, he's like, well, just call them. And I'm like, Whoa, I never thought about that. Like trying to get a hold of the experts. And so like when I got in my book, when I got a hold of Larry Lawton and, you know, when I, you know, met Danny Woodburn and, you know, kind of these, you know, these big profile people and they are just people, right? When I say that, like, they're, you know, if you strip the stuff away they're they contribute and things, but I mean, they, they want to usually share um, and, and, you know, work with you if, if you have a genuine interest in, in what they're doing and saying, Hey, I think it connects to what I'm doing, like in this way. Um, and that, for the most part, that's true. I had one person who was a professor at a different university. I tried to contact him and he 
didn't because I was just a student. He just said, "No time for you," and uh, yeah, that was that was kind of funny. But but I was like, okay, you know. But for the most part, yeah. And so like these people, that was a great that was a great point of advice from my advisor. Get on the phone and and contact these people. Leave a voicemail. Tell them what you're doing. You have questions and. So then I had that in my research, like that was already before like the defense, right? That I had contacted these people um, who were like really big in the area of school safety and schools and high stakes decision-making in the military and hospitals and stuff. So that was cool because I wouldn't have thought that again, unless my, my advisor told me. And then I also learned how to do citations because I didn't know APA model and, and how to cite people and all of this stuff before and how to timestamp. And, and uh, you know, if you're interviewing people, right, to make sure you timestamp and how things get transcribed. Like I didn't know any of that. I haven't been through that. So the most valuable degree that I have, as far as what I learned was the PhD. Like it took me to a whole new level and I had some awesome professors. Um, one of my professors was a statistics um, expert with Nabisco, right? And and he understood like the, you know, the different, you know, surveys and analyzing people's purchasing patterns. And, and uh, I forget his name. And he, I had him for two classes though. That guy was just dialed in really good and then telling you like how to do this and how to like take some of these data sets and analyze them. And, and uh, it was just really um, enlightening. And I'm like, oh my God, like, you know, having this person share this, right, was, was so valuable. So I had, um, you know, some phenomenal, you know, faculty um, and, and I learned a lot. And that was really what kind of gave me the the knowledge to knowledge and the skill set and, and everything I need to know to kind of go on and do the first book, School of Errors. And then, you know, once School of Errors was out there, then Velocity of Information, you know, I knew I could do because I already had done a book and write and, and uh, you know, stuff like this through, again, a publisher, which had to agree to a proposal and had to offer me a contract. So, um, but so I learned citations, my advisor of how to, you know, look people, um, you know, contact people. And here, so what I actually learned from the research was CNT is saying um, that he'd love Thomas. Yeah, I would too. Thomas L is, is a phenomenal. Andrew, he called the phone number on his university website and he answered the phone. <laughs> uh, a friend of mine talked to Noam Chomsky. Oh my goodness. He called the number and he answered the phone. That is wild. That is wild. Yeah. You know, when I was trying to get a hold of some people, I mean, Larry Lawton took a while, like for my book, because he has many kind of layers of people around him because he, you know, 1.5 million YouTube followers, so many people trying to contact him. So he has these things filtered out. But once I just talked to Larry, like, yeah, then, I mean, things things went really well. I don't know if I, I mean, with these professors, I had quite a few successful kind of cold calls of saying, you know, I'm doing my dissertation, I have this. And then you have to narrow it in, like, and say, I have like these two questions for you. Like when you're researching this, you know, can you tell me a little bit more what you're thinking? Because I think you meant this, but is that not what you meant? And, or like, I'm putting together some questions. I'm going out, I'm going to interview principals at, you know, 12 different schools around the state. And it, like, what is something you think I'm missing? You know, is there anything I'm missing? And and they might have some stuff, but that was very, very helpful. Like I, I learned how to do the research process. And so when I was actually, um, when I was actually 
done. So I got, I did all the research. So part of it was going out. I, I had, I don't know, four school districts I went to. So beforehand you're making this proposal. It has to be approved. The Any questions and, and procedures has to go through the institutional review board at the university to make sure you're not bringing harm, you know, to anybody or, you know, if you're not, you're not asking questions, which are going to cause them, um, you know, undue stress and stuff like that. But so you get through all of that and then I, you know, call these, these, superintendents of the site, then they sign an agreement for me to come in and the principals that I was interviewing, you know, set up a time to come in and interview them and have a recorder down to interview them and, and, uh, and I had, you know, my questions, but they didn't have the questions ahead of time. And actually one of the principals like was really emotional when we were asking about like, uh, how do you, I had a, I had a number of questions that one is like, how do you um, kind of bounce back from decision-making like does is it something you feel that you take home with you like if you're having to make high stakes decision-making like suspend a student because they've been aggressive toward other students or staff or something and and this person like you know they you know kind of teared up and they were just like yeah I like you know it affects me you know, like you know a lot of times at night because you know these families get really upset and and you get you know so that this negative energy and your staff are really uneasy and then it's all coming toward you and you know the next morning it's going to be the same thing they're going to you know call or they're going to be waiting and and you know want to discuss this not discuss but kind of yell at you further and and um and you know so i was like whoa and we just i don't know if i cited that in how i addressed that in the research or if i if i just kind of left it out of there but uh so yeah, uh, we'll see. you saying APA format. I think that was APA, if I remember. Um, and my first book was APA. Also, I actually, to be honest, I kind of liked APA. But once I learned um, Chicago style, which is 471 citations in the velocity of information, Chicago style rocked. I think I had to do APA for my dissertation. But Chicago style, you're just numbering your sites. So when you read it, it'd be like number one, number two, number three, number four. Then you go to the end of the chapter, and the full site is there. If you're doing APA, the citation is within the reading. So there weren't a whole lot of those in School of Air, so it didn't kind of disrupt things. But um, but yeah, if you're trying to write a book that someone is actually going to read, you would never write it in APA style. Again, it worked for School of Errors because I didn't do it that much. But um, and a dissertation, they, they are just trying to show your depth of, I don't know what it is, but you know, you're right. I had to learn that. And, and there were people like in my class who had that down. They had it memorized. They had programs like Mendeley that they just knew how to use. And here I am, like I just had some uh, spreadsheet that I put together. And then um, I think I worked with somebody afterwards and just to make sure all of my citations were correct. And, and uh, you know, like the way I was, was writing them out in the reference section. But that was something I learned because when I, by the time I got into my books and I was really thorough, like I, and I Citations are credibility, right? You know, um, philosophy of information has 471 citations. So uh, in that book to this day, in the same with School of Errors, nobody's been able to, <laughs> no one has tried to challenge, you know, what's in the book, right? Or the content of the book. You can have different opinion, but you can't challenge because, I mean, the books are thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly cited. And um, But uh, so... So I learned that, and when so I when I was interviewing these principals, and then what what you're doing is qualitative coding. So I was looking at certain things like this, 
um, suspension numbers and frequency and things like this. And so I had all of that stuff down and, and kind of, you know, what I would tear out as different level events. But um, when I was interviewing the principals, I was asking a thread of questions. So you have a construct, you're trying to find different things. Like one of the constructs, for example, was uh, like re how, how quickly you rebound from making a decision, kind of like a decision fatigue, maybe, I don't know what it was, something like that. But I had these constructs and, and it was every single principle said, once I, if I make a big high stakes decision, right, you know, like we have to go to a lockdown or we have to go to something that's going to have a fair amount of drama with it, or especially that's very student specific, um, or a belligerent family comes in because it once was telling me about that, like a family came in and like threw a chair down a hallway and slapped a teacher or something that had to call the police. It was crazy. But, um, but the, the response would be, cause I said, well then how, like, how do you think that affects your decision-making the next day? Like your high stakes decision-making, like, are you, do you just reset and are you able to, to be as objective and be as confident and just make the decision? And every single person interviewed said, no, that when something big like that happens, it fatigues them It you know, kind of, it wears them down and it takes a couple days to kind of get back because usually there's fallout from the initial thing that went on. So I was like, okay, I kind of expected that, but I was like, whoa. And then I think a couple, you know, and I don't know if I put this necessarily in the research, right? Uh, because I think a few were like, well, you're like off the record, right? You know, when they get close, closer to retirement, they say, I I really am going to measure out some of the decisions I'm going to make. Uh, and it'd probably be like, you know, am I going to suspend a student or staff member or whatever because of of X, Y, Z and, uh, you know, have everybody be upset and, uh, you know, upset with me and the board be upset and my boss down at, you know, district office headquarters or whatever. So, so you see these, which is very consistent in the velocity of information where frontline soldiers, right? Um, again, not the same thing, but there is a consistency in when you're in this adversarial situation um, after like, you know, 12, 15 days, you got to people perform best when they get pulled out of that for a week and then put back into it, whether it's negotiators and things like that. I mean, those patterns are pretty prevalent and can mention those or not mention, but a research and put them into velocity of information. So what I was finding and which I thought was a huge contribution to the field was, you know, these people, um, these, these administrators kind of start the year off really strong. And I also have that same, I have that same graphic in, um, in the, Velocity of information. I don't know if I can find it with a with a crab boat uh, with Robert Travis. I'm going through it right now. Um, so anyway, if you have if you have my books, right, you know, please, please post a review on Amazon. That helps dock out big time. So I've been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for the twenty second review, and then also the for Velocity Information, Review 55, for um, Review 55, which is uh, for School of Airs. So you can make my day. So this is the, this is it right there. Let me put it up on the other screen. Um, so again, that's why I think my research was really, was really valuable because it carried over, you know, six years later into my, my book stuff. But at the bottom there, so 
when you are making a high stakes decision, so like if you're a new administrator, and this isn't the book, this is about school safety, right? This is kind of the crab boat stuff and just in general though. But um, you you get really good, you get really good really fast at making these decisions. And then it, you hit a fatigue point, you know, kind of like 90 days in when you have to keep making these decisions. Um, you don't get as, you, you don't, you're not as good, right? You're not as objective. You're trying to, to make your decision faster. You're not going to spend a lot of time because you're like, oh, like I'm, I just got out of this one. I got other stuff to do. I can't spend the whole day investigating this other instance. So, um, so people just kind of make decisions from the hip, right? And that was very prevalent and people will tell you that. So that was, that was something, right? That should, you should then um, these are, these are, again, these administrative organizations, right. To support, you know, principals and stuff like that, um, focus on how do you help people make high stakes decisions, make high stakes decisions in situations where they are frequently making high stakes decisions, right? Um, so they make a decision in 48 hours, they might be making another one kind of in that same vein, right? And, and you know, there's a lot of um, emotion to it and a lot of like pushback and stuff like that. So how do you help people to do, what do you coach them? How do you, how do you teach them to do that? So how do you do that at professional development? How do you do that if you're putting on a conference at, to do a keynote and breakouts on that? Um, and that's where, again, I push, I take my, students right and i say your organization should be helping you with this because like we know these are areas and they'll be like you know i'm burned out because of whatever i'm like right but your organization is going to have you know some big vendor sponsored a conference and 90 percent of the things on there aren't going to be about even close to this so um i thought that was interesting i thought this whole elasticity and decision making and it was prevalent in hospitals and also the military um that you know, you kind of only have so many good uh, unobstructed decisions in you before you have to reset, or you know, then somebody else has to step in and, and be the one making the decisions and, and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, I thought that was that was. There were other things too, but uh, I thought that was 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 a big part of the the research. So, um, so. What happens if you fail? So we already talked about the process. So the dissertation is very, um, well, I mean, it's extremely scripted, right? So you have to, it's a year long process, at least you're going through and getting, you know, your proposal approved by the university and institutional review, review board, which is good, right? That that's so you're not doing research that's going to harm anybody in this case, you know, I'm just interviewing people and they're all administrators. Um, and then, you know, you how you put your paper together and your literature review, which is looking at other research papers and studies. And here's what's known about this area of high stakes decision making. And then, like, here's my procedures. I identified I wanted to study these districts, rural and suburban, and compare them in these areas. And then, um, and then you make up names for the districts. Like, so that was kind of a fun thing. Like in my dissertation like none of these districts were authentic but you couldn't identify them there's 471 districts in my state so you had to make up some name like it's spot bot or spam bot fodder district or at bolo town or uh, jordan b from sk uh, yeah school district uh number four 
So, you know, it was those types of things. And, and, uh, so, you know, that went well, I learned a lot, you know, from that process. And then of course, when it's all done and you think you're ready to go, then you go to that defense and the defense is when you're presenting it and people are like, yes, this is good. They've had it ahead of time, right? <laughs> you're not, that's the thing. You're not going, they have already read everything you're going to present. And then when that's done, they probably have some things they want you to make some small adjustments to, and then submit it. You're not having to redefend it. And, and so that's where it was really strange for me be, to go through. And uh, I did have, I talked with uh, Steve Kastner, who is the head of um, um, the NASA flight training. Um, Steve Kastner's uh, in my research. And then also Steve Kastner is cited in um, Stephen Kastner in School of Airs. So, you know, so pretty similar to Top Gun uh, type stuff. And I think the conclusion out of like Kastner's work, and again, you know, this was back in 2016 and, and stuff like that in um, 2019, but it was that the, a few things were happening. The technology was getting to the point where it was getting difficult for like pilots to interface with the technology because the technology is anticipating things that are going to happen. Like, like we're kind of like basically saying you're at this point where it doesn't make more sense to just have this plane operated by a drone in the plane's own sense, like remotely and the plane is sensing all the stuff versus the, the pilot having to interpret the nuances and manage the plane. Like that's where people are getting at. And then also because the planes were so sophisticated and, also, and you could only test for so many things in a flight simulator. Like there could be a small nuance thing, was, you know, like last week with Graham. Now imagine like, you know, a plane flying at, you know, Mach 3 or whatever it is. And you could have these little nuances that you might not pick up on because a plane automatically just like mitigates for it. Um, so you're not, it's not coming to your awareness because the technology is trying to just level it out. Um, but it was, it was basically saying, in some parts that well, one is that, yeah, if something the pilots would get really good at what the simulator taught them to get good at, but if something happened that was outside of the simulator between the time it started to maybe show up in the, the diagnostics, right? So if you look, if, if a pilot would crash, which was pretty rare, but if a pilot crashed and you go back and you look at like the data of like the last like five minutes before the crash, like there might've been things that were already showing up on the the gauges and some performance of the plane but as a pilot like you're thinking is this a concern especially as a fighter pilot or is this just part of the operation of the the plane at these you know this altitude and speed and all the maneuvers and stuff like that or is this really something going going wrong and maybe you know positive recency right i haven't crashed a plane the last you know what <laughs> Maybe never when I've you know taken out or having to eject or something like that. So you're just thinking it's 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 not coming up as as something you are paying attention to. Um, so you know that was that was some pretty interesting stuff. So actually, so in my dissertation, I found out that the the medical model was very much driven by high by flow charts or by decision trees, not flow charts, decision trees. If yes. If yes, then do this. If if yes over here, then do this. If no, then do this. Um, so a lot of the high stakes de decision making in hospitals, like you know who should live, who should die, and treatments, and 
how your staffing, like uh, ICU and stuff, was done by Decision Tree. So, uh, I guess not surprising, but it was, um, it was, it was interest. It was interesting because um, I think one of the parts I cited was there was a nurse who administered incorrect medication to somebody. I don't know if they died or something like that. And um, so, you know, in looking at this whole system, one in, in, I wasn't this, I wasn't doing this, but like in reading the research and citing it in my, my work, um, the, the hospital was running very lean and they had made decisions to have fewer nurses, right. on staff. And then also the nurses were working longer. So this nurse was like in, was working like an 80 hour work week or something like this. And this air happened while, you know, she was like at her 70th hour or something like that. So, you know, she was fatigued. She wasn't making good decisions. And in this case, right, this went by her and, and it was largely attributed to this person was, was burned out. Like they were fatigued. Um, and so this, this whole, this whole flow chart of like, how can we operate with so many people and whatever kind of led to this big disaster of this person losing their life. And then in schools, the decisions were really, um, based upon the billing level administrator, a lot of site-based management, but then there wasn't any follow-up afterwards. Was it a good decision or not? And if it was a decision that brought um, controversial um, feedback, right? You know, um, hey, like, you know, here's our star wrestler and, you know, they were smoking weed. So it's a violation of, of the athletic code. Now they're kicked off the team. Oh, they're supposed to go to state. Well, you know, the community's like, that's our star wrestler, you know, like, come on, give him a break. And um, that, that probably, you know, that could end your career in that district. Like they could just not renew you. So it, this whole thing of discretion and, and kind of, you're very much working solo in these districts, um, in these administrative positions. And people kind of also knew that and they weren't, they knew if something really went sideways, they would probably just have to go to a different district. And, and that usually worked, right? You'd go to a different district and they wouldn't say like, why aren't you at that other district? Because they just kind of know this is the way that it works in districts. You only have so long in a district. Um, so what I say, healthcare and military. And, the, and military was um, very much into training, right? That was the model of training and decision-making. And going back uh, again, and maybe into basic training and other things of, of train, 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 and putting a lot of time into training to make high stakes decisions. Um, and, and so, you know, the models were different, right? Schools were kind of like, leave it up to the person who's in the building. Uh, military had standard operating procedure, but they did a lot of training for these scenarios of trying to make these decisions. And hospitals had kind of run it by the numbers and they had put these decision trees together you know, and, and I mean, I didn't find this out, but right. I mean, you could almost say to hospital, well, you know, if something doesn't turn out and it costs us $5 million, it costs us $5 million. Right. Um, so, so these models were very different. So what I was trying to, to, to then do is say, does it make sense to look at bringing stuff over from these other models into the schools? And one thing was in the, in the military, the training level was so much higher than for school administrators. A lot of my school administrators right now, have never been school administrators before. Um, so when they come to class, they'll be like, I've been an administrator for three weeks, you know? And uh, so, you know, does it, does, would more training, more 
actual time in, in training help? Um, decision tree type of stuff, does that help? Yeah, may, you know, maybe with, with a few things, allergy management and stuff like that. But, um, you know, schools, because schools don't have to be super fiscally efficient because they're getting government funding, right? And it's not, it's, you know, it's not going to come down to, are we going to provide, you know, 20 minutes of special education for the student because it costs this amount of money. It's schools don't really operate that way. So there wasn't probably much from the hospital setting that would carry over into the schools. Um, you know, the military did more training, at, at, you know, more kind of induction um, giving and giving people exposure to different environments. So they had to problem solve in different environments. So there, that made some sense. Um, but again, you know, the hospital stuff wasn't, wasn't, but actually, as I said, I, you know, I said it my advisor because my dissertation team never even heard me, but, you know, um, schools were kind of becoming a little more like hospitals. Schools were trying to do um, decision trees for things. That started to be a thing about five years ago, and it, it's not as prevalent right now, but at the time I did my dissertation, and I wrote about it, too, in my defense. And so I said, this is something to be aware of, right, because um, you – I don't think there's much to be gained by this. And I would probably say like, don't do this because, you know, again, it's a different model of, of, of high stakes decision um, making. And, you know, in, in hospitals, life and death, maybe there are some things that you go through that strictly if it's in an ER and it's fast moving, if it's this, then do this, that this, this, this is proven out. And yes, and that'll save a life in schools. That's rarely the case. Um, but I think in school shootings, for example, or intruder things, people have introduced more of these decision tree type things. And I don't think it works because, um, you know, you're having people who uh, you're not practicing these things enough, right, to, and, and the flow charts kind of have like these steps and things like that. And they, it's usually never as linear, right? So, I mean, if you're at a hospital and there's, a, you know, something manifesting, your blood pressure drops to whatever, and your heart rate, whatever, I mean, there's certain okay, this is this, then this is what we're going to do. So there's a, the context, those are interesting, but I don't think they, I think schools are trying to adapt that. And I don't think it was working. And then the real thing with schools, right, is if you, it's, if you're going to become an administrator, like maybe it's an administrator boot camp, you know, kind of like military type stuff, but then who's going to commit to funding that? It'll probably have to be the state, right? Who would come in and say, you know, if you're going to become an administrator, you will have six months where all you're going to do is administrator training. And honestly, if you did that, you probably would retain these people in your your numbers, your your staff in school would be higher. You'd have less turnover. I mean, you probably would solve issues by doing this because administrators turn over every two years and staff turn over every two, three years now. But who's going to fund that, right? So there's some realism in that. But I mean, you know, it, those are all interesting things to, to look at. So, um, let me go over here to the, to the chat. So CNT, uh, saying to me, have you ever thought of having John Lott on your show? I don't know who John Lott is. Um, so, but I'm interested, right? But I don't know who he is. That would be an awesome show about the information propaganda surrounding guns. So, all right. If you know, like, a, if an access, is this just someone I, I'd be able to easily access um, and make a contact with? But, yeah, no. Um, I haven't, but, of course, I'm interested. 
Bolo, trust your gut. Listen to your inner voice. It's probably right. You're, you're right. And actually research. Um, one of the things through, I think, I don't know if it was in my studies. I think it, it was in my research um, for decision-making. Yeah, it was my decision-making with um, the military because Kastner had studied, had worked with oh, David Klein, I think. Yeah, Klein was in California in the 80s and and sent uh, was a professor and he would send graduate students to fire departments and say, go down the fire calls, right, as an observer. And anytime there's big decisions made, like get off of a roof or like, you know, turn the, the water on this or somebody, some, somebody into rescue, like write down um, everything about that decision, like what led up to it, like what happened and afterwards. And, and there was a thought that you could analyze and, and try to figure out like, how do, do people kind of sense ahead of time when to make these decisions? Or is it like one person says it and then they just go and, and a client did some amazing research and that, you know, back in the day when you could do those type of things, you know, now you could, it would be very unlikely, right? You'd be able to send graduate students to a fire department and have them go out on a call and, and you know, be there as an observer. But, um, but one of the questions that was asked was um, the reason the, the, graduate students would see people firefighters on a roof and and then the firefighters would when they would get off the roof it always seemed like the roof collapsed like 30 seconds later and the question was like so how do you know when to get off of the roof right and the that was really fascinating because the firefighters would say oh you just do like you just sense it and sometimes you're you get told to get off the roof but otherwise you just sense when to get off okay sense as in what like you're standing there and the floor is getting, or the roof is, 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 um, there we go. Um, you know, the roof is getting weak, you know, is, is that what's going on? Um, and you can kind of, no, not necessarily, sometimes, yeah, but not necessarily. Is it like a, is it heat that's coming through? Is it like what, uh, something that you're doing? Are you, you know, gets, stick a poker through the roof? I mean, all these things, uh, and they would be, so they were trying to say, like, what are words or what are feelings or things, trying to associate, trying to qualitatively come up with this. And, and ultimately, it came up with, you just kind of sense it, right? You just, and all these things are feeding into that. But it was it was just from kind of the experience of the job, you just kind of knew. And some of, a lot of things we do probably in life are just kind of like that, as Bolo said, trust your gut. And, uh, and yeah, so that was one of the the findings that they had is, you know, they just kind of knew when to to get off of that. And had they not, if they would have tried to analytically override that, they probably would have stayed on the roof too long and, you know, while the roof collapsed, right? So there is a lot with trust your gut because, you know, if you're paying attention to things, you already have a lot of innate knowledge in you, tacit knowledge, it's called. If you can kind of sense, this isn't quite right, like I need to get myself out of this situation. You're in most cases, like you're right with that. So trust your trust your gut. Now, if you just trust your gut the whole time, like I was talking about those administrators of principals who, you know, a couple of kids get in a fight or, or, you know, something where it's suspendable or it could be pretty, pretty big events or staff. And, and you're kind of burned out because it's your third one this week. So you just start going, well, you know, I'm going to just, I'm I, I think I can, I'll just issue a suspension. Right. Or I think this is probably what happened. And, and you don't, get into the deeper trying to understand it or research because it takes too much time and you're burned out. That only goes so far. You can only ride your gut instinct in those, um, 
you know, you, you can't do that for the hundred, the next hundred decisions you're going to make. Right. But I mean, there might be sometimes you just don't have any other choice. You got to trust your gut. Most of the time, most of the time your gut feeling is going to be the correct choice because there's so much already informing that. It's been about fodder. Only someone higher on the psychotic scale would say they have no emotional impact of high stakes decision-making. Probably. Yeah. High stakes decision-making seems to be very abrasive to people. Really, it wears them down. Hello, Jordan B from SK. Hey, buddy. Bolo. Know your can of worms. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you're read the room, know your can of worms um, and kind of what you can tolerate. And I removed my own prior comment as it may flag YouTube. Okay, gotcha. Um, let's see here. Um, Jordan saying, R versus R in stock day trading it takes a lot of discipline, lots of nuance, lots of egos. It's like we're conditioned not to make mistakes. No one's be wrong. Dopamine hit when you make the wrong. Yeah, I was a, I was a day trader for a year. I think it was nineteen ninety nine, um, and that was I still have on this desk. If I pull out this drawer, it was it's all the fractional stuff. Like uh, sixty three, sixty four is. 0.9844. So you might put a buy in for $13 and 0.9844. Um, and it was crazy, like, you know, because there were some great times with that and some, you know, bad times with that. And I don't do that anymore. Um, but, uh, but yeah, yeah. Um, the, it was, it was addictive. And I remember um, my broker, I mean, God, this is back in 1999. That was back with American Express Financial Advisors. And uh, I'd go on the online platform and just be, you know, trading throughout the day. But my uh, my broker said, you'll tire of this. Like everybody does. Everybody burns out on on day trading. And I was like, oh, God, no. Like, I love this. You know, I was young. And and uh, but then, yeah, I mean, after a while, it just it, it did burn me out. And and uh, and I, you know, I was nowhere near the depth of what it would take to really be successful at that. So thankfully, I got out before. You know, there was any big damage, uh, damage done, but, uh, but yeah, that was, that was some interesting stuff. I mean, even like now, you know, retirement accounts, I mean, which are just kind of static, but you know, day like today, the market's up, oh, you know, you, there's dopamine, a little, you feel good, like, you know, cause your investments have gone up a little bit and like last week they go down a lot bit. So, but, uh, um, but yeah, so, um, level two decisions as Bolo taught me warrior's way. Move along, move along. Yeah. I shared this in my class and people thought it was the greatest thing. And it's just from Marshall McLuhan's book, um, The Medium is the Magic. But I said, you know, there's a reason when you're driving, the the windshield is huge and the rearview mirror is small, right? And again, everyone's like, oh, God, I never heard that before, which I didn't either until I read the book. But um, and I said, you know, that's but it's big, right? You, we, we can, you can get forensically locked into so many things that you're trying to figure out why they happen. And it's like, um, because you think if you really understand it, it'll help you. And there are certain things, right, that you should study. But for a lot of the decisions and a lot of things that go on, it just, it went on, right? And you move forward. Because if you totally get focused in that rearview mirror, you're going to miss the things that are heading towards you. So um, that was, that was something, um, too. Um, I think this this might have been the first class, I don't know, in a long while, or if ever, I, I seem to sense a lot. They were they were looking back at how their district or personally they handled 
being an administrator or educator during the pandemic. And a lot of them were pretty critical of saying, oh, like we should have done this or we learned this, but we learned it like three weeks in to do like the Wi-Fi hotspots. I'm like, well, but <laughs> you know, like who's perfect during their first pandemic? I, you know, I'm like, I, you know, uh, you did the best you could do. Nobody's perfect in real time. And what does it pay now to look backwards, right? I mean, yes, to if this happens again, right? There are certain things you would certainly do right off the bat, you know, Wi-Fi hotspots and and uh, making probably a, building most of your instructions so it could toggle to online and stuff like that. But you know, no one is going to sit there and say what you did was wrong. You did what you did in your situation and context and everything around you, right? And what a reasonable person would do. And you learn from it and week three was different than week one. But yeah, I did feel like a lot of people were kind of like trying to either justify what they did or kind of, you know, just being critical and down of being like, I should have been better or institutions should have been better. I'm like, well, I'll t let me tell you the real story. What should have been better is your county health departments. They should have been a hell of a lot better than what they were informing you. And you probably don't know that, right? Because no one ever told you your organizations in the county's not going to tell you, but it was their job. It was their job to you know, guide you on, you know, for your mask guidance, right? And to maybe provide to come in and do some environmental um, uh, work at your school of, of checking things or evaluating things. Like that's, that was all written out ahead of time. That's how it's supposed to play out. They got overwhelmed. They shut down and put it all on you. And your state organizations were kind of like, adios. <laughs> so, you know, I'm like, you got put into a bad spot. And a lot of you, right, just made, you know, the decisions based upon the information you had. And then you did simulated annealing, which was a new term, right, for them. And I put that up on the board. And I'm like, and you make, and a week later, you're like, well, we'll do this. We'll improve it. And a week, week later, we'll improve it. I'm like, that's all anybody can ask of anybody. Like you, I, you know, I just, you, you've got to, and, and people got it then, right? Most people did. Like a couple of people just kind of still hung into their, I'm going to <laughs> be critical of my, self forever type approach on this, which I hope they're not. I hope they kind of snap out of it, but, uh, but you can't be that way. You just can't and, and can continue to look forward when you're looking at that rear view mirror. Um, my best move, this is Bolo ever was to unplug my keyboard out of position to give it to my friend who just smashed his keyboard still in position. Whoa. That's, uh, what well, I, I bet there's quite a story with that. Um, so how do you know when to get off the roof? This is uh, Bacon with the firefighters. Look at smoldering boots. I don't know. You just do. Yeah. That was the thing they were trying to say. Is there something like really a telltale sign? And in some cases there there was, but other cases, you know, there was not. Although like their firefighters are getting all this information, proprioceptive coming in through their boots and the time they've been up there and just like in general, they know when they get to see like, oh, this is all this is there, right? Um, and that was one of those things where Klein was really sharp and he just said like you don't need to go further in trying to figure this out you don't because then you're going to kind of cross the line and start to say well here's conditions and and people are going to start thinking well i'm up here like am i meeting this condition and that so Klein really did some great research and also knew like when to draw the line um so let's go over here um and oh long island iced tea that is one of my favorites. It's Mile High Ronan. Are you a new sub? And if not, please be a sub. But welcome. Hey, buddy. Tim Hortons. Oh, wow. 
Um, forgive yourself was the best advice I ever gave. Uh, said Bolo. It's really good. Yeah. And I find, so let me tell you about the law class I taught Saturday. So these are people who are like brand new administrators. So I also teach like the superintendents, but they've been administrators, like they've been principals and stuff. So um, they understand the administrative role. So they're new to the soup role, but they're not new to administrative role. So the people I had in Saturday's class, they're new to administration. You know, they've been teachers before, but they haven't been administrators before. And, you know, one of the, th and, and so right away, you know, we get in and, and, and I, and there is this kind of positionality, right? Because then the Dean announces me and he's like, you know, Dave's presented around the country. And he's like an expert in these areas. And he's got his doctor. He's been on PBS and he's been you know, teaching with us. So, so I'm like, I've taught a hundred classes here, you know? Um, and, and so that's one of those things where Graham was saying as a flight instructor, right? There's this primacy, like people really look up to you when you're at the front of the class, right? And, and, uh, you know, you, you bring this, which is good. It's, it's nothing where you're cocky or you're, but, you know, I, I dress like I do now, you know, very professional, um, and, and come in and, and, but then I also tell people this, this is going to be a very, um, cognitively demanding class, but you're up for the challenge. Like it's not going to be cognitively demeaning, but it's going to be cognitively demanding. And I will tell you things, we'll cover things you've never covered anywhere else. Like I will we'll break down like all this budget stuff, all this, these regulations. I'll tell you about declarative relief, injunctive relief. We'll talk about a lawsuit here in Wisconsin last year. And one person that was in class actually was named in previous class. Right. But, um, uh, you know, we're going to go through this stuff and I and budget things and I, and we'll do a budget activity. And I said, you'll probably be terrified when we do this. Like, you know, and some of you guys were in here, right. You know, I cut the strips of paper and is it categorical aid? Does it flow through? Stuff? But I'll tell you, I said at no point though, like we're all learning. Right. And if you just, if, if you're not sure you say, I don't know or whatever, then we'll just step through it. And I said, but let me tell you, I was where you were at when you were, when I was at this part of my career. And I can tell you the names of the two professors, Barb Natelli and Lanny Tabaldo, who helped me to learn um, school budgeting and special education budgeting and just how awesome these people were. And I never felt like I was doing anything wrong, although like I was trying to figure this stuff out. And they just said, you know, there's kind of the big things and the rest falls in place. Like, and they were the ones saying, you know, these systems already exist. Like every school has its fund 27 budget for the last, you know, 50 years. Like that will be there. So like, here's how to read it and understand it. And, and here's, you know, when other people are trying, when you propose like a new position, realize you're only going to get 26% back from the state and the district will pick the rest up. So it's going to be a, you're going to make a really compelling argument to the school board because they're going to have to increase their overall spending by 74% to get that person. Cause the state's only going to pick up 20, all these things I didn't know. Right. Um, but they were so good. And, just, I, I felt like I could do those things and not be be bad that I, you know, felt feel bad, feel criticized. And uh, and so, and I did, I had people, you know, just say, let me, are, are you are you intimidated by the budget process? Are you intimidated by the legal stuff? And some people would raise their hands and say, yeah, like, I'm really afraid of the budget thing, right? Because how do you learn all of this? And I'm like, it's a good thing. Like I tell, And then, I, you know, when you reflect your own stuff, right? Oh, we just lost the, we just lost the other cam here. So that means this guy's got to go on the 
life support over here just a second. All right, yeah, I didn't have a charger on that thing, so I knew it only gets so long out of it. But, um, you know, so, so that's a thing. Like, you just have to tell people um, your experiences. And I'll say, you know, and I'll say there were people then, you know, I knew and go to the state funding conference, but, you know, go to some, someone that you know in class who's done this a year or two and sit down and say, let me see how you, you do your budget, your chart of accounts versus mine so I can get a full idea for it. But, and I said, once you go through it, right, there's only one first year, like it doesn't change significantly after that. And not all this stuff is as black and white as you think it is. Like there's, there's much interpretation and we would do that when we get through the activity. Oh, you could fund it here, here. And I'm like, yep, you could do that. And then I kind of introduce other things. Like there's a fund 80, right? <laughs> That's a community fund. And so if you have an AED, technically that could be a fund 80 because that's, that would be for anybody coming into a school, like the staff or if the community are there for a school event and, you know, and, and that activity went really well. Um, and then to share my own experience, I said, there's a ton of times I didn't know, but there's also, then you go through discretion, best interest, right. And, um, board of education policy, and then the other parts induction. And I spent a lot of time on that, you know, cause I would, I, we, some uh, allergies, that was, that was something I didn't expect, um, people to say like allergies and how you identify people, kids with allergies and under other health impaired and ID. And I said, okay, so it's a great question. And part of it is other health impaired, the individuals with disability education act was last reauthorized in 2004. It was supposed to be reauthorized in 2009, every five years. So it's really behind the time. And I said, so all these kids with allergies, I was never part of special ed law. So now kids get placed into OHI other health impaired because there's no other category. So I'm like, you're, so what you're describing, you're 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 working behind the eight ball because the feds aren't up to date on this, so you have to do the best you can. But like, so here's the question though that come that if you are doing an allergy training, so you have a, a student with a peanut shellfish allergy or whatever, so like, what are the materials you're using for the training? So, and and so I would go and people talk about that, and, and then I would I would start to press that issue a little bit and said, could you? Could you, if you were at your desk, could you generate those materials in 10 minutes? Like, could you go into a shared drive or whatever and pull off the handout that was done for the in-service that was given out or whatever? You know, some people, yes, no, or whatever. And then I, the second thing, could you give me an attendance list of who was there? Most people couldn't, right? And then, okay, if they didn't attend, how did they get the information? Then, and then I bring in these other things and say, at the end of everything you present, well, first of all, you timestamp it. like. Here's the date it was given, and here's the time it was given, right? Um, because if there's any question from your board of education or there's litigation that comes out because we talk about litigation, they're going to want to know when you did this. And if you said, I did a start of the year, I'll say, well, what, what day? Well, I'm not sure, you know. Okay, here it was, you know, August 27th, um, 10 o'clock in the morning in this room. Okay, who was there? Okay, here's the list of who was there. Got it. And I said, every, presenta every presentation you give, every training you did, you give, the last slide, the last statement is, what questions do you have about this? Every slide that you do. And people are like, well, we don't do that. I'm like, okay, but you have to. Well, why? Because by doing that, it changes from you just delivering information, whoever it is, delivering this information about here's how to report a student that we think is being abused, right, to county 
services. Like here's our process. Here's the process to do that. Right. You know, that you'd have call county services and whatever it is, but the bottom, you know, is like, do you have any questions? Like, do you know, and that changes it. So someone has a question, do I, do I need to go and contact a, you know, supervisor? Am I supposed to, um, you know, take, um, like pictures if it's a student who has um, like bruised, um, you know, arms or, or something, you know, to, to, to that effect, you know, am I supposed to take some type of, you know, evidence to, to go with that? So, but people, um, I said, you, you have no idea what the questions are that you'll be asked. Um, just, you know, kind of none, you know, none at all. You, you just don't, you just don't have that. Um, so I'm checking out something here. So, all right, trying to bring up if I can. All right. Um, nope, doesn't look. Uh, okay. I thought I could bring up a training that I had done on that, but I can't. So, so that changes things because, right, if it's in, I said, if, if there's a lawyer, right, who's asking or a board of education or something, you always point to the bottom of saying, you know, we had an opportunity while this training had just happened, right? To say, you know, what are your questions? Um, and to clarify those in the, in the moment, or like if for some reason it's someone's not there, if you have any questions, like, you know, contact and put somebody's email down or something like that. But usually it's just, you know, you're, you're just fine if you put questions. Now that's a little trick, like not trick, but it, it's a part of the technique of professional development. No one ever taught me until kind of late in my career. And then I also saw it as an expert witness, right? And, and that's where I could come back and say, well, I see this, right? So if you do these things, it will it will help you, you know, substantially. And then um, and people kind of, you know, also, they don't know, like Board of Education Policy, like I'm, I'm pretty intimidated by having to like put together policy. I'm like, yeah, so would I. And like, you will almost never have to do that, right? Policies exist. You'll have to review and update policies, but let's say it's an allergy policy and that might be something new, although like most districts have now, but I was, I introduced allergy policies in two districts. So I looked at policies that existed in other districts and then kind of largely copy those as templates. And then um, I met with parents. I held community forums for people to come in. Cause you know, what if you're a community member and you come in to watch the basketball game, does it mean, you have to wash your hands before you go into the gym because maybe you ate a peanut butter sandwich before. I mean, and not a lot of people attended these, you know, maybe five, you know, people attended, but you at least had it out there and people could ask questions then of, you know, what is, what does this mean? And, and those are never to set policy. Those are just to inform policy. And I also had to get that point across, but, you know, and I said, there's organizations out there that if I were, as a director, I would be a member of these. I suggest you be a member of these. Uh, like uh, Neola does board policy and stuff because you're not going to be able to manage all these board policies on your own and how the laws change and something like that. Like you need this organization to to be doing that and then keep you apprised and say, hey, something changed and whatever, non-discrimination. So make sure your own board policy represents like this change. Um, but 
so that's one of the things you can tell people. And and the other thing is like, you know, there are certain things that move very quickly and there are certain things that you have ample time to inform yourself with. Um, so one was we had a student uh, or we had a case study and it was called Peggy the Comfort Pig, but, you know, based on a, a true situation where a student moves to the, the district and the parent says, hey, like I have, um, I have a, my child has a comfort pig and the previous district allowed my child to bring this small pig in and it has lowered my child's anxiety and stuff like that. Um, so you're like the receiving district, right? And you're like, whoa, like that's a comfort animal. That's not an ADA animal. And I'm not sure about this, but so like, what do you do? And some people would, would then in class go to their policy and it says, you know, we don't allow comfort animals. So we tell them, no, I said, okay, right. So, but they would take that right to the department of education, the state level, or to office of civil rights. And the problem is you, you didn't consider whether you could do this or not. You just said the policy says no. So they would come back to you and say, you have to consider it. You can still say no, but you have to consider it. You have to show that you meant to, to say, you know, what is, what benefit is this pig providing like to this, this child, right? And how can uh, maybe something be substituted or like, what is the, what is the issue here? Is it because, um, yeah, how is the understanding if it's anxiety or whatever it is. I mean, we went through all of that in, in class and, but, um, but then, you know, okay, so what does your policy say? And some people didn't have a policy. So how would you handle it, this if you didn't have a policy? And, you know, it's already in the child's IEP, which is a legal document. So could you, you know, so there's decisions you're gonna have to make, but also the child's not gonna be here for a week. So it's not the child who wandered in the woods where you have to make a decision on using a drone or the search party. Like this child won't be here for a week. So, you know, you've got some time, right? You don't have to call the parent back that day and say, yes, we will allow the pig or no, we can't have the pig here. And that's where too, some people are like trying to make those decisions like right then. And I said, well, but is, you know, and I put it up on the board then, you know, is this a decision that you've got some time to inform yourself? And I said, you know, within a day, like you can learn a whole bunch, you know, by talking with the parent, the sending district, um, you know, things like things like that. You can you can really become informed. But people, but once you make a decision, right, it's going to be hard to walk the decision back if you've not informed yourself. CT saying, Doc, some of these school administrators still want kids to have to wear masks at school. Yeah, I'm aware of that. Yeah. Um, and going back on that CT, one of the one of the things when the mask wearing was happening in schools, um, you know, which was pretty prevalent around my area, um, I I think I said it on a show. I think I had a show on this, but I contacted Environmental Services and I was teaching my classes. And so the, the same companies that would come into schools and say, "We'll test and tell you if you have mold, and we'll tell you where the mold is and how to mitigate it." And I contacted Environmental Services at these major companies and I said, "Could you come into school and um, and could you test for?" the stuff in the air right and also like so and i said i started that because i was going to basketball games with my youngest daughter who was into basketball just kind of starting out the time and we'd be at the high school and you'd see these kids wear masks but then as they're playing that they put them under their chin or you know they're still passing the ball so the ball they're touching and passing the ball around and i'm looking and i'm saying you know an environmental specialist could go out onto that gym floor during a timeout and take a cubic 
foot of or a cubic meter of air and sample it. And would there be anything in that air? Or you could take the basketball, right? Or are these kids washing their hands when they're coming, you know, back and and uh, after playing, right? And they've they've touched the, you know, all this stuff was. I was saying, could you measure for this? And they said yes. And then I said, how many districts or which districts are asking you to do this? They, they won't tell me which district, but I could just say like which how many. They said nobody, right? And right because if you found this, what are you going to do? Like, you know, if you already have a mask or, or whatever, like, uh, there was, there was no clear mitigation, um, strategy. Well, I mean, there were things you could do like disinfect high contact areas and things like that. But, but so that was really a weird thing. Like you should have, um, these, these companies, you know, saying we, we could, we could go in and do all this stuff, but right. Like the moment, unlike mold, you can clean a building out of mold and then the mold's gone. You could send kids home for a week and sanitize a building, but the moment the kids are back. But it got to be really weird. And I had a sign that I that I showed that was on a playground. I was saying, like, after the playground, you know, go and meet with the recess aid and she'll spray the equipment down with bleach. I mean, it's a big, like, detailed sign of all this stuff. Or if, like, you're a community member using this. And so I said, you know, this is how crazy things got. Like, nobody followed this, right? And especially, it's a playground. Kids don't understand what this stuff means. Um. But, uh, but yeah, and the thing is when, whatever decision you make though, you have to like show how you informed your decision, the CDs, you know, we took CDC guidance or local health or national Institute of health or whatever. So you have that, but some districts will just say, we're going to do this or do that. And then then have the rationale behind whatever decision they made. When you say position, are you talking a trade? Maybe I misunderstood position. Um, help me clarify that. I am not, I don't think I was talking a trade, but, um, I don't know what I was talking about. So help clarify, bring me up to speed on that. Yes. He smashed his, oh, his monitor while in a bad trade. Oh, it's Bolo in Jordan. Okay. New sub. Hey, thanks. I'm like, I could be at 1.22 right now. I don't know. Um, now we're, we're close. We're within one or two of uh, 1,220. So, um, Bolo, anger is not decision-making. Correct. Um, so, um, Bolo, yeah, boss move, giving him your keyboard to keep him in the game. That is boss. That's really cool, Bolo. I mean, that's all the thinking in the moment. And, um, you know, again, I kind of go back to the start of the show. We're talking about dissertation, like, um, if I, again, like I get a false start, I'm not, I, I don't go through this dissertation defense correctly out of the gates, like, you know, pause or call a timeout, you know, and, um, and let me regroup. I'm there. It's a big day for me, right? I've been pr- preparing for this versus like shutting everything down, which was just really weird. Um, I, I, I mean, I think there's some people if that happens that, probably be the end of it for them they would just go but i mean i i like i said it it was it's strange in in uh looking back at it and the fact again that my friend gary was there our priest and observed the whole thing and he's like nope (laughs) you're not reading this wrong at all like this was weird i'm like okay you know so um but yeah i mean i 
for someone to to come back, you know, to call a timeout or my advisor meet with me and say, hey, like, you know, you're you didn't you're not coming in here correctly on the on the takeoff. Like you're not you're not on you're trying to to do some other things. That, and um, so just do this, like just start over. Um, so I kind of go back to like the whole thing when I talk about people, my administrators in the pandemic, you know, and I always, when they like kind of get critical of themselves or whatever, I say, well, how good were you during your first pandemic? You know, and I'm like, this was your first. And for me, it was my first too. I said, we've you've got to have some empathy and, you know, you do the best you can and you probably improved your system pretty rapidly and everybody has a finite voltage point and, um, you know, and as Bolo said, you know, watching somebody in CNT, keeping somebody in the game, I said, that's a big part of your role. And that's a big part of my role as a professor um, is that I need to have that primacy. Like I need to really have my stuff organized and together and be confident, like, and to watch people then and get them back in the game. And I had a few administrators during the pandemic who are like, you know, working almost 20 hours a day, right? Because they get a call at 10 o'clock at night. Oh, a student, you know, just tested positive. And then like the whole classroom has to like stay home and stuff like that. It's real crazy stuff. Um, and these people are just burning the candle with both ends and they looked rough during class. And those are the people, you know, you do an email follow-up or in class you do, you know, some follow-up and say, you know, take care of yourself. And there is a point where this will pass and like you then will have the experience of this going forward. But like in the moment, like, um, you know, you, you are are, um, I can see things differently than you can, right? Because this isn't my life. I'm not an administrator in a district going through this. And I can tell you, you're doing a great job. Um, I can also tell you like you, you guys are burning yourselves out and you can't sustain this. So, um, here's some things that I recommend that you do. And we're going to do some things a little differently in class. That's when I took the final exam and I changed it for the first time ever. And I, cause I sat down and I'm like, these are, good people that are burning out. Um, the class is just kind of like an extra burden in a way because, you know, they, when they signed up for this, they didn't expect, you know, there's pandemic is so be hitting. And, um, and I, I said to them, I said, listen, like, I want to do something. I want to provide a different option for the final exam. I normally wouldn't do this. Right. But, um, what, what do you think about a phone call? We'll do a 20 minute phone call, not a zoom. You don't have to get on video and all that stuff, a phone call. Well, I'll put up a Google Doc different a lot of times. If that doesn't work, call me or let, yeah, let me know. We'll make a time. And I'm going to have a set of questions. And you don't have to send me anything ahead of time, but these all go back to what we covered in class. And and um, and um, and it was the best thing I ever did. And afterwards, the students are like, thank you so much. Because like I didn't want to sit down and all this other stuff and try to write a five or eight page paper that I'm never going to look at again. And, and, I, and this whole thing was like, I'm going to ask you stuff like, the board might ask you or the community might ask you about your induction process for staff, like during kind of chaotic times and how you, um, you know, so some, some of these, it wasn't just pandemic, but it was, it was, it was really well done. Like I look back and I'm like, I wish I would have actually done that earlier. Um, but I'm glad I, I did it when I, I did. And I, I still continue that option for the soups. They have to decide the first class collectively if they want that or not. Of course they all do, but and it's not easy. It's not just saying, oh, I'm going to give you an easy way out. I said, you know, it just kind of get your things coherent. And, and this is, if you're presenting to a board, this is about how much information they'll, they can take before it starts to go over their saturation level. Right. Um, so yeah, 
but that was a big that was a big change. Just be real with people, you know. And I said, if you if you want to break in snacks or you know, um, what whatever you know, kind of you know, you want to do now. Granted, like I have things that I need to teach you, like we need to go through. Um, so and I actually I would go with my students during case studies so they break up into groups of three and so like the first case study i'd go with group a the second group i'd go b and i was just one i was just doing the case study with them i wasn't leading the case study i was doing the case study with them and i did every assignment that i asked my students to do i also do so i that's something i've started about three years ago every single assignment any activity i ask my students to do i do it too so you're submitting three articles about you know whatever i'll submit my three and I think there's a real um, uh, re relationship that's that's built with that, right? When I'm going through the the process, I don't know. I have to think. There's once in a while I, I get kind of like where I'm at right now. I'll, I'll be in class and I'll just say like, uh, I'm not sure where I was going with that. <laughs> so I just reset. So, you know, during the course of eight hours of teaching and legal stuff, like there might be three, four times I'll be like, I don't know what rabbit hole I was going down, but. I'm just going to stop here. We'll move on to the next thing. And people are like, yeah, you know, it's good. Um, so instead of like just trying to talk or, you know, trying to maneuver my way back through that. So, um, so Bacon saying, next time you do a presentation, you should drop the, would you like to know more line from Starship Troopers before going to your next slide? Wow. I hadn't thought about that. I hadn't. It's kind of funny. Um, it is funny. So, Jordan, hey, Jordan, we have a cat, um, an older cat who's kind of hanging in there, but he, we have to give him special food for the same condition of the crystals in the bladder. So, and it's expensive. Um, but yeah, it's a good guy. Um, he once was like a 30 pound cat and maybe he's like 12 pounds now. So, it's, it's kind of hard to like see. Uh, that transition for him, but he, you know, seems to be doing pretty, you know, pretty good here. But yeah, we're a cat family. So I've had cats for other years. I have three cats right now. And um, yeah. So. Jordan's saying the biggest thing that got me during. Uh, We'll say pandemic. I don't know if that, I don't know what kind of words like algorithms go through here, but what was the amount of sugar that was allowed to my kids at school? It's every week they had a sugar day hypocrisy. That's interesting. Um, I'm sure like people just, I mean, it was one of those things of what are you going to enforce and what are you not going to enforce? And that would have gone by the wayside. So, but yeah, I mean, schools were supposed to not have that and not have that like handed out as rewards and stuff like that and i remember my kids would come home and they'd be like hey we got like you know tootsie rolls and suckers i'm like well actually the state says <laughs> you're not supposed to be doing that um so it's flying rich hey buddy um i want to have flying rich on the show again at uh, to talk about um disaster 3d like i saw somebody took disaster 3d.com after I talked about it, I still think that's, if I had like nothing else to do, like that'd be kind of an interesting site to curate of just like come up with research things or whatever people would say, like, here's 
what you could 3D print for, you know, self-care or for infrastructure or for, you know, whatever. Um, and I want to, I want to talk to Rich more about that because I, I think there's, so there's, so one thing, so Rich is, um, I was learning about esports, So I talked to the head of Wisconsin esports and he's actually going to be a guest on the show, but that probably won't be a, um, a live, that won't be a live chat. It'll probably be a premiere because of his schedule. Uh, but we're going to talk about like, so there are many schools getting esports, and it's pretty awesome. Um, but I said, what do you, what do you, might you do if you have a student with a physical disability, like a mild tremor because of a mild cerebral palsy, you know, child doesn't have any services they receive, but they have, or, you know, something that, you know, whatever they've lost two fingers and a farm accident. So like, what can you do for an adaptive controller? And he said, all right, people have asked that question. And there is a company in Milwaukee that, you know, will adapt a controller. And apparently it's already in the licenses for most of the companies that make controllers that if you have a disability or special need, you can have the controller adapt it without violating the copyright. As long as like, you're not, it's for you, right? You're not then adapting it and selling it. But as a company, this company can adapt it for somebody and make it for them. They just couldn't then mass market those. It has to be individual. But then he said, the other thing is like, you can 3D print this, right? So if you have a school lab or parents or, you know, communities, they can come in and kind of figure they can make some trials, some different things and 3D print different controller adapters or whatever, like, and that works well in the community. Like it's worked really well in the 3D, in the gaming community. And I'm like, that is cool. Cause you could actually have your school then 3D lab, maybe work with, a uh, you know, again, that student who has, you know, a couple missing fingers and they, they do whatever on the thing to make it more accessible. So anyway, I thought th that was, that was really cool. Um, and those are the kinds of things I'd like to bring back into class because everything kind of gets down this like really um, area where there isn't a lot of like sunlight in the content, you know, and that's where I like to say, you know, look at esports like students with disabilities and in your schools, there's a whole new opportunity for, for kids to participate. And, um, you know, you can adapt these things really, um, you know, get creative in how you adapt them. So yeah, let's go here. Rich, it's flying rich. Um, Jordan's saying things changed since I was a kid. I don't remember that much sugar. I don't remember having parades and people throwing candy out the windows. Kids flock. Oh goodness. Yeah. Um, you know, my, my kids are old enough now where we don't, you know, we don't really do the parade. We go to parades, but we don't like go to a parade and bring a bag for candy. <laughs> But, you know, five years ago when we'd go to the 4th of July parade, like, you know, you take a Walmart bag for each of them and they probably got two pounds of candy each. I mean, it was crazy, the amount of candy. Um, so, yeah, I mean, both my kids don't do much with, with sugar, especially like my, my oldest daughter. Um, and I don't, I don't know, I don't do much. Once in a while, I grab Mountain Dew or Pepsi and I bring Skittles when I teach. And that's really the only time I eat Skittles is during kind of lunch in the afternoon break just to keep glucose in. Um, and it is, I mean, when you're teaching your, 
you're burning a lot of glucose in your brain, right? It's like Einstein was always eating sugary stuff and he wasn't putting on, he was just burning, you know, burning it. Um, and it's for that reason. Now, if I wasn't doing that, I wouldn't be eating the Skittles. And, and when I was narrating my book, I brought um, those bite-sized candy bars. And this was, a few of their narrators told me this. They're like, you know, you, you your brain, because you're so focused, like on the reading and cadence and stuff, that once you get, you know, 30, 40, 50 minutes into this, like take a break and recharge with um, candy bar. And of course, you do water and stuff. And, and it did work. Like your brain is consuming that that uh, glucose, but in those those are kind of very specific examples. Um, so it's flying rich, yes. So, uh, oh, CNT started a, a Rumble channel. Wow, nice, very nice. Um, that is. Let's see here. Just checking the the chat. Um, it says, "Wait, safety doc, are you in Wisconsin?" I am. Um, I am within an hour of Madison. Let's just say that um, it's not hard to find out where I live, right? Because you know, I've used my name since the start, and you know, things like that, but. Um, yes, yeah, I am in, in Wisconsin. Um, robotics club, God, it's cool stuff. Cool stuff. Um, Zippy, he's having a meltdown. Oh, Zippy, take care. Why is what Western Digital Elements encrypted? Now I have to transfer files through uh, USB three. Yikes! I don't know, man. I was looking at new webcams on a kind of a side of USB stuff, and it seems they're all USB C, like the very the newest ones. And I do not have a straight USB C input on my PC. They're all, you know, USB A or the USB A 2.0 or stuff like that. So I, I could get an adapter, but then that's really defeating the purpose because the C right has more power it's putting out plus the connection and the camera wouldn't necessarily have the power it's expecting to operate if it's just using um, the regular USB. I don't know. I've, I've read some things on it saying if you don't have it, then don't. <laughs> like, don't get this camera if you're not, if you have to buy an adapter then to hook it up. It's just not a good plan. Um, so, actually, my camera is doing pretty well tonight. So, um, but yeah, I still, I still am going to do something here with the mic or the whole thing. I don't know. Um, esports can be interesting, but I doubt photosensitive epileptics will participate or even watch. Um, yeah, I can understand what you're, what you're saying there. Um, the people, <laughs> Jordan, the people on the floats at the parade were throwing candy at the children. Yeah, I mean, we, it was it was crazy. That that was our experience too. It wasn't being handed out; it was being like launched overhand at you. Um, so, and the the Fourth of July parade, which was in the neighboring community, the fire department would take the hose and not the. <laughs> it would be the hose you'd use if you were coming up on a grass fire, dumpster fire, something like that. But they would like shoot it at people in the 
in along the route and you know mostly they would just kind of shoot it up in the air and it was 85 degrees out and uh, you know, people get wet, but it wasn't always like that. Like if they found like somebody they knew or something, you know, they would just like drench that person. And I'm like, well, that's not cool. Like this whole thing of like, I don't want to. And the fact is like water in a fire truck is usually just not water in a fire truck. Well, one is there's this, there's this agent mixed with water that's in the fire truck. Typically it's called like a Silvex or something like that. But it makes it, the particles disperse smaller and kind of like more slippery. So like, um, and that's just generally, so you, so you kind of get a better pattern on your initial water coming up to, to a fire, more coverage. But so you're, you're putting that on the people. So I'm like, don't do that. I didn't like that, but yeah. So the big bag of the absolute cheapest candy you can get and just throw it at people. Hey, Oconomowoc, I know where that is. Yeah, um, I I did some presentations there, some safety presentations at the old Pabst Mansion, um, the Oconomowoc Developmental Training Center. I was, I've been out there. Like I did four trainings, I think, out there. That was really something. Um, but yeah, so that's, you know, maybe an hour and a half away from me, maybe a little longer. So candy for the brain there is there is something to that you know not just making that up but it is if you are functioning at very kind of high constant cognitive um, activities that you you are burning through a lot of glucose and like a lot of people are never in that state for a really long period of time but um you know like when i'm teaching i i i know that i have to to do that um like if i'm teaching for a whole a whole day um, so Zippy, can you connect it with eSATA instead? I can't because the, the cord actually comes, the ones I'm looking at, the cord comes right out of the camera and it it's then USC. So you can't detach the cord from the camera. So you'd actually have to take the USC and convert it to something else. So there's some higher end Logitech. So I'm like, just, nope, <laughs> I can't do it. I don't know. It's not that bad. Right? Honestly, like my cameras probably knows I've been talking smack about it. So like it's up to its game today. And it's like, it will not let you down. I'm like you better not. But um, it's actually like I could live with this. This this isn't that bad. Um, it's just I, I, I want to try um, a couple different cameras and also that I can kind of swivel left and right and then I want to, um, I definitely want to do a different mic. So I've got that Shure MV7, which would be, would actually work. It would hook right onto this and it would, it, that would be an option. Or again, a headset. Like there's, there are a few I've been looking at. Um, and I tend to like the headset stuff, but I don't like the head. I'd have to go a little bit of a higher headset to, to do that. When I do, again, anything that's consulting, I'm always doing just a headset because I have, you know, need access to my keyboard and stuff like that. And um, so let's see here. So, hey, Vero is uh, hitting the sack. So take care, our Vero. So thank you for being here, buddy. Thank you, everybody, for the uh, for the you know thumbs up. We are at 28 here on the show, which is flat out awesome. So appreciate that. Um, so, and let me, um, 
I was watching a video today. The guy was in a Turtle Lake, Wisconsin. Yeah, that's up north. Thought of you. Yeah, okay. Yeah, Turtle Lake is, is far up north. North, um, what would it be? Northwestern part of the state. And I actually go through that area when I go to um, Superior, go through Turtle Lake area. So we went through that this year. Really small, like very rural and small. So cool stuff. Like in summer, yeah, I totally like that area. In winter, I, um, I am not a fan of uh, Wisconsin winter anymore. So use flight mode unless you need the phone for emergency. So School of Errors, Rethinking School Safety in America, the most honest book ever written about the $3 billion school safety industry. And I appreciate your support. We do have 54 reviews that are out there on Amazon, and it would be great to have more. Um, but yeah, this book is available in, you know, uh, paperback, I think $20, $22, uh, hard copy, ebook, and then audio is $10.99, which I narrated. But um, the Harbor Rescue of Lower Manhattan, um, you know, 500,000 people in nine hours is, is, is in this book. It's just a really good book. Um, the Velocity of Information, right? My book that came out in April um, is an ebook paperback and hard copy. Hard copy is expensive. It's really the book is being bought for libraries. But this will also come out in audiobook. It's already been recorded. Um, the audiobook, though, releases April 12th, 2023. Phenomenal book. A lot of graphic, uh, custom graphics in here. Um, 12 interviews um, and a lot of uh, photos and images in this in this book like here is uh, one or here's the image of the dam Orville Dam the highest dam in the in California and when the spillway puked it out in 2017 and Juan Brown was telling us what was going on with that so um, it was really there's the playground where they shut it down because of the pandemic and put the sign up. That's right down the road for me, by the way. That's not the one by the power station. Um, we That's the one in our neighborhood like we just walked down to. But So the books are out there. And then if anyone, if anybody really, really wants to get into it, you can order from ProQuest my dissertation. Just type in my name, and it is uh, how educational administrators prepare Schools for high-stakes safety situations, a focus on elementary schools in rural and suburban contexts, which is actually really good. <laughs> like people do cite this in their research, which is always a fun thing. Um, but yeah, that's that's one of those gimmicks, right? Of getting your your PhD is afterwards, like you get contacted by ProQuest and they're like, hey, you know, wouldn't it be great for you to buy a hard copy of your dissertation? or three or five and and then uh you know which outside of family right no one will ever get like that is actually a working copy like i'll go back into that because there's a, there are things that i cited in there which i didn't put anywhere else but um which is a crazy crazy thing you get hit up with a lot of stuff after that um that they they try to sell to you but yeah that's again that's a weird thing that i paid for my dissertation stuff right and everything but i if i were to access it on my own i wouldn't have access to it i have to pay to get it outside of this like if i was trying to get an electronic version of proquest i'd have to pay whatever 20 dollars or i don't even know what it is um 
So this whole thing of saying you're contributing to the knowledge base is is not really accurate, right? It's got. <laughs> I go back to that lost person app. I'm like, and I didn't know that until I started looking into it. Who would you know? Government funds it, right? And then it's nine ninety five. You're going to download it. Like, got to be crazy. Like, right? This doesn't face validity. It doesn't make any sense. Um. So yes, either if you have my books, if you don't have my books, you know, because they're in a lot of libraries every day. More libraries around the world get the books and. It, this is this works. If you go to your library, if you send them an email or you visit your library, right, and you say, "I would, I want these books in our library," most libraries will buy them if they're, you know, um, whoever lives there actually makes that recommendation. They'll buy them. They have budgets, and if they're, um, you know, community members do that. So um, yeah, consider consider that. You know, just go on there and boom. Um, you know, send an email. Hey, I live here and I see this isn't part of our library library. So I want you to order it. And there's usually like on most libraries website, but helps the book helps the work. This article that I'm, that I wrote about, um, abeyance agreements. So, which will be the feature in five Delta cap and journal in November. And then that's the one coming that'll pair up with a legal note by Rachel Cox from Northwestern. Pritzker Law School. Um, that is big. Like, that's the best policy piece I've ever written. And I'll break it down once it comes out. But basically, like, schools are doing this practice of suspending students, but not really reporting the suspensions. <laughs> Nothing earth shattering there, right? But it was kind of prompted by some 2014 Department of Ed legislation. So, like, um, and I, everybody knows you shouldn't do it, but no one has called anybody out on this. And the feds just, kind of ignore it and the districts ignore it and their attorneys tell them to continue the practice. So like, you know, few of us have gotten together with some poll in the area and have researched it. And, and uh, you know, so I've got the article, which is the feature and it, it's like a one in a thousand chance to be like a feature to just, you know, craft something like that as a, that article took me probably 30, 40 hours. Um, and then, Rachel and the people she's been working with for more than a year on that legal note and now to come out and say, this is garbage. Like, you know, you shouldn't be doing this. You're, these kids aren't getting an education and you're also destroying educational records and you're forcing the way of due process. It's almost, um, so like in, it's worse than almost uh, like criminal law in a way. And we both of us came to that conclusion. Like you could plead no contest to an offense like in in a criminal court. But with this, the way that schools do a bans agreement, you always have to say, I'm guilty, even if you weren't necessarily guilty or there were other circumstances, like um, you, you know, if you were in a fight with somebody and now you have to, you're suspended and you're like, but you don't, you can't, your side doesn't factor into that, right? There's not a necessarily a, a due process of saying, yeah, but I was just, I was hit 12 times at least before I like tried to defend myself. Will you participate? Um, there are many examples, but I, I, the article's very thorough. And then the legal note is extremely thorough. It's called an empirical legal note that Rachel did with her team. And I think that he'll have some, some big traction. And, and we're talking today and I said, that'll get a lot of national uh, attention and the lawyers won't be able to hide anymore once this is out there. So, and again, it's one of those things I kind of like to share with my students because I'm like, this is really big. 
like, you know, this could be the biggest thing somebody does in their career is to put together like a legal note. I mean, Rachel will do beyond that, but I mean, for her to do this and this team is really, really big. Nobody's doing this because there's going to be a lot of people who are going to be very upset that you are telling them, Hey, now you've got to report stuff that you're keeping off the books. So, but again, you know, I'm like, you know, go for it. I, it's a, it's a garbage practice. It's a trash can practice. And I know a lot of lawyers who tell schools to do it. I know schools that have it in policy, but their legal teams that put them in and I'm like, just garbage, not part of educational law. And so, and now the articles out there just is the, the feature in a primary journal. And then this other note. So this legal note, which I didn't know what a legal note was until I got into the expert witness stuff, but it's basically like something is happens in a, uh, is put into law, but then there's part of it that's kind of fuzzy, not addressed. A legal note can kind of try to clarify that. Um, so anyway, um, yeah, uh, let's look over here. Dun, 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 our Pharaoh, hey buddy. Um, oh, JLM. All right, hey everyone. JLM, if you're not subscribed, please subscribe and welcome. Um, I almost drowned in Lake Superior when I was like nine. Oh my God, I'm, that's horrific. I So Lake Superior, I went to UW Superior for one of my master's degrees and lived up there actually when I was like 30. <laughs> it's crazy, but uh, like I lived in a dorm for a summer and uh, which was actually pretty neat because everybody was like my age, or, you know, we were all kind of picking up our degrees living in a dorm. And one of my professors lived on a boat, houseboat, and then like, he would go down and class be end of the week. You'd take his boat and go like over to Ashland and where he had a house. But um, my my wife and I were at the beach, you know, Lake Superior on I don't know Wisconsin Point, and we there was a family next to us. This was like oh god, twelve years ago or something, and and um, their kid who was young, maybe like three, four years old, like kept going out into the water like further and then would come back and then further. And the parents were like both there. And I'm like, ah, this is, this is pretty dangerous. You know, like you're, you're, you got to knock this off. And sure enough, like the kid starts to get swept out a little bit and, you know, is going under and I'm like, get out there and get your kid. But, and then, you know, they ran out and then they got the kid and the kids, you know, coughing out water and stuff like that. I'm like, you're stupid. You're, you know, what morons like, cause otherwise like, I got to go out there and, you know, get the kid. And, but you know, it's just one of those things where it was just like, what else do you have going on? They weren't really messing around with phones. And it was, I'm looking over like, what are you, what are you doing? Um, when I went Powerball tonight, I will mail a copy of school bears to that professor that walked out on you. It was all of them that walked out on me except my advisor. So I'll give you a list. It's four that you have to do. I'm not saying they were bad people or anything. Like that. I'm just saying and they, it was just really weird. <laughs> it was just really a strange thing. It wouldn't be the way that I would have handled it, handled it at all. And again, I am on a dissertation defense for someone that's going through a dissertation. Um, and I'm just, I just would never think of doing that. I, I just as I just would never think of doing it unless something was crazy that was going on in that defense. Um, I can I can see where you would, again would call the timeout right and say 
this has to go in a different way or whatever it is, but I, I don't know. So that's where, again, don't confuse a single defeat with a final defeat. Um, and that's something I also share with my, in all of my administrative classes, I'm like, you know, and whatever you count it, count as a defeat, you know, but, um, do not count a single defeat as a final defeat. Like right now, you know, right? Like I've got the two books, two PBS presentations, you know, had the, the consulting and just decided to cut back on that. Like tomorrow I'll be out biking, you know, for six, seven hours a day. Like that's my life. Um, I, you know, all of those things, you know, went into a, a, a great direction. I think through a lot of hard work and a lot of, you know, fortunate um, people gifting their their time and and resources toward me. I mean, like in the books, right? Giving their time to uh, be interviewed and sharing their knowledge, Dr. Paul Rapp, stuff like that. But but you know, I'm like, this isn't a sad story at all. Um, but I think for a different type of person, right? It could have been quite shattering. Like this could have um, been something that could have been more on the line from a single defeat to a final defeat for some people. Um, I don't know, but yeah, it's, it, uh, it's, it's something to go and tell people, yeah, you know, I failed, I failed the defense. So just like Graham, you know, Wilson said he failed his flight test first time, but Wisconsin winter is another reality is below. Don't let it get you down. Find the gem in the rough. Go winter camping, see the snow pain is the great educator. So the thing, so Bola, that's good advice. I had a few winters here where I went out every day and I walked for like two hours. And the thing is like, it's usually it's cloudy in winter, right? So you're not getting a lot of sun, but at least if things are snow covered, you're getting reflection and right of sun. So it seems kind of bright. Um, and then I have to wear cleats because, you know, it gets slippery and stuff like that. Um, and that was, that was good to build that in. And then I, I, I have to like really structure my routine in winter. So maybe like two days I'll get up and by nine o'clock I'll be down at the library. We have a beautiful library in our town. Um, and it has, you know, like this reading area where there's a fireplace and it's real comfy chairs. And, and so I might just be down there with, you know, some of my books or if I'm like grading papers for university class or anything, I'm kind of roughing out like book or article ideas. So I'll grab a coffee and you know, hang out there for two hours. So it's, it's really getting through, honestly, November, December, January, March is just kind of psychologically getting through. So yeah, winter, winter camping, camping. Yeah. I'm just, I don't like the cold, man. So I'm just not into, into that. Like, you know, we have, you know, really awesome hiking areas and lakes and stuff like that. I'm just, I'm, and I see all the ice shanties. That's just not me. Like I just, I, I do not go uh, for that at all, but I do have to do something. Um, so I've kind of, like I said, those, those things. And what I used to do, um, is I used to load up a lot on classwork for the, when I was teaching like statistics and stuff that would be like winter courses and things like that, because I wasn't doing anything anyway. So I may be teaching, making money. Um, and then really light my summers up. Like I don't teach anything in summer. Um, so, you know, I've got these classes now and but, uh, but yeah, and my wrench is gone with the channel, of course. Your wrench. Let me see here, buddy. Hang on. Hang on. 
Hang on. Um, here we go. There we go. Um, dun dun dun. All right, is Doc gonna is Doc gonna hawk for Raid Shadow Legends? Kidding, kidding. I don't know, man. Um, so you guys have a lot of optimism, yeah. Yeah, I appreciate that. Andrew, big and Andrew, when, not if, I admire your optimism. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I it is honestly probably pretty petty for me to like complain about winter and stuff. I did also have like a major car accident in winter because it was snowing and icing where, um, you know, I was injured and the vehicle was destroyed and, and that kind of like also <laughs> changed my, my winter stuff. Like, I don't have to drive, you know, and it's snowing and stuff. So I don't like, I'll look at the forecasts and be like, get everything I need. You know, I'll stay here for a couple of days. And, um, but, uh, yeah. So this is Jordan saying, Bolo, sometimes that winter wind blowing just makes you feel alive. It's like, bring it on. I've never, uh, I've never done much winter camping. Um, just Maline uh, Lake, late September. Um, so it's a lake in late September. Okay. So, yeah, you're. I mean, everybody's right on this. <laughs> now, I also remember. I remember a time when I was when I was doing my dissertation that year. So it was winter. So I remember, I defended in May, and in winter I was going and meeting with my like citations editor because like I. I wasn't good at citations, like the technical part of like how to actually write a citation. Like I had all my sources, but I, you know, I just hadn't done that before. And I was down on campus and I remember, you know, I don't know, it was January and Lake Mendota's on campus or right, right on the side of campus. So like 40,000 people on campus and I'm walking across campus from the parking ramp to where this one library was. And the winds are just, I mean, there's just snow going across, you know, my, the whole campus, my feet and, and it's just cold and there's nobody else out there. And I'm just like walking and saying, ah, this sucks. Like I should, I don't want to do this anymore. And I'm just like, I was tired and it was biting cold and it was dark. And I was just like, no, but I did. So, um, it's John Crump news. Look at that. It's John Crump news. I've been on John Crump News twice, but John Crump News, awesome. Very cool. Um, do we have, do we have a, uh, I, uh, let, me, let me do a little wrench maintenance here for you guys. Um, Who's got a wrench and who doesn't have a wrench? Jordan, you should have a wrench. Um, all right. So that's that. Um, speaking of winter, this is Spambot. On Wednesday, I'm getting my studded winter tires mounted. Wow. That's commitment. I'm in Wisconsin. I don't do that. 
but we do have the one all-wheel drive all-wheel drive vehicle which was the first all-wheel drive we've ever had and that i was impressed last winter with it um so my buick lacrosse which is huge in front wheel drive and also low profile tires oh that is not a good winter drive so um yeah i will i usually do not it's even i threw new tires um on it like a softer rubber more siped and i still have a hard time but you know i've driven enough where i kind of got that but hey i just got your audiobook hey well thank you um alex i appreciate that so yeah i narrated that which actually was one of the most difficult things i ever did was to narrate that book because i'm not used to being a narrator but you know uh, worked with a sound studio and the sound engineer, you know, who was listening at the same time narrating, oh, go back and, you know, could you do that sentence again? Or, and then, um, you know, everything got cut and put together. So it sounds good. Like I've listened to School of Airs and actually both books. Well, that's one that you got, Alex. So then um, the Velocity of Information was professionally narrated by Ben Hawk. And that book will be out in, again, April 12th. Um, it's a little bit longer than School of Airs, and and that's a super listen. So I like listen to my own stuff quite a bit, but uh, but yeah, I I'm, I'm glad um, you know that you got that, and please leave a review. Um, I think there's a lot of doc energy uh, in that book. So it's a weird thing. My publisher would only allow School of Airs to be an audiobook because we didn't have it in the contract initially. If I narrated it, that was the only way that book would get out there. So. I did it, which was pretty cool. Spam by all will drive on summer tires and winter equals all will drive on pucks. So, yeah. Um, I do, yeah, I've, I've spent some time on uh, picking out what kind of tires. I usually go with uh, Michelins and, yeah, a little bit of a softer tread. So, you're an expert narrator, Doc. Well, thanks, Bolo. I, I learned a lot. Like I, I quickly got in connection with my narrator friends, you know, Kat and Brian and, you know, who professionally narrate. And I'm like, this will be the probably the only book I'll ever narrate. Right. Um, what can you tell me? And here's how I'm struggling. And they're like, boom, you know, gave me a lot of tips and that was super helpful. Like how to mark a script. So you, you're always, you know, making sure you take a breath. Um, periodically like using an iPad to like, you know, bring the stuff up, but kind of make it larger. Like if you have words that you're not quite as familiar with, or, you know, you get to, and there's some specific way you need to narrate it, put some energy, like highlight it and do that ahead of time and do like a practice sheet and, you know, and bring a ton of water and all, all this other stuff. Um, so, well, thanks Ron. appreciate that. I think in school of airs, my voice sounds good. I mean, there's some times you can, kind of you know get an idea when i'm coming toward the end of a session you know probably recorded over eight sessions but but um i li i've listened to it right and i'm not critical of it i i like it like I, i'm like boom doc you know dave you did a good job on that um and yeah i listened well now you know, you know i drive to the classes i kind of just listen to my own books and then, another reason i do that is just so i stay familiar with my work because you know there's little nuances or, or things that I wrote about when I'm like, Oh yeah, I, I did write about the, you know, whatever. And, um, and somebody, buddy will ask you a question or something like that. And, um, you know, it's like when, what George Lucas like talked about star Wars and he said, 
there would be a Star Wars convention, right? And someone would come up to him and ask like, uh, you know, very specific question. Like, you know, this person was wearing like this at this, you know, point in the movie and whatever. And did that signify whatever? And he's like, well, it's just a wardrobe pad, right? I mean, but now that I look at it, right, it could, this whole meaning is legitimate of what you're saying, but that was, or else like he doesn't remember, right? Because there's all these cuts put together. And um, so when I was talking to, um, to Graham uh, last week, and it, outside of the show, but he he knows um, on the Red Fox show the the guy, not Red Fox, but the taller, lanky guy. Um, and he said, you know, one thing like with that guy is wherever he goes, people expect him to be in character. So when he's not, it kind of throws throws him off. Um, and I don't know where I was. See, this would be one of the points I'd be in my class saying I don't know where I was going with that, but I think we're where I was probably going with it was saying like um, when I narrated the book, it, the book really was kind of like how I am like uh, the pat, the energy and kind of things like that comes through. And then um, when I'm in class and I'm, I'm pretty energetic in class, you know um, I tell people like, I'm not performing. This isn't, this isn't um, entertainment. This is edutainment. And this is really my genuine self. Like if you were to see me present at a workshop or contracted to a district or just in general, like this is me. Um, or if you see me on TV, like this is all consistent stuff. Um, but I said, it'll probably be a little bit unusual at first because you probably just don't have either professors or your administrators or whatever that kind of do this, but it's all good, right? Because you know, it's good because I, I feel the energy, right? And if, if you're there, I think it makes it more interactive. And um, so. Well, so I have this route that I walk, which is about seven miles, and it goes past this uh, elderly community of, um, of what is it, duplexes, I think, or condos? I don't know. But each one has their own garage. So, like, inside they've got, you know, like a, some, some vehicle and usually, like, a couple lawn chairs and people are gathering. But I, yeah, I used to just wave these people when I walked by them. But then I went up and I would, I just would say, Hey, like, you know, I've seen you a couple of times here. I'm David and come by. And then they would say, Oh, like, you know, I'm this person, I'm this, their name. And then I would remember their name. Like I would have to do some mnemonic or whatever. But so now whenever I see them, I'll be like, you know, you know, Hey Betty, you know, Hey, Hey Ralph. Um, so it's kind of a, kind of a fun thing instead of just like, you know, just walking by. Um, so Andrew's saying I can confirm Doc is the same in real life and on screen. So yeah, I don't know. I feel I feel good about um how should I say? Like I think I think my general like interaction in the way that I work with people, right, in the presentation is is good. Like I have a lot of um I don't know if it's a lot of energy or just a lot of passion. I guess maybe passion's the word and 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 uh, for for the stuff that I do, um, but it, it was I guess it was something I picked up in cl in the classes, but especially on Saturday, is you know people I would say you know has any has anybody written a letter to the editor or has anybody you know done a journal article or have you met with a legislator right you know just kind of these things and nobody had. I'm like, okay, you know, there's a starting point for everything, but like, you know, not only can you do this, but you should, right? Your I meet regularly with legislators, 
Yeah, it's usually just coffee, right? And then just, yeah, it, and it's you don't have a script. You're not doing anything. You're just saying, you know, hey, like school funding, you know, for whatever, because some things we talked about in class. Or here's what other health impaired is, and there's nothing really in the law. So there's a chance to reauthorize it, just so you know. And what's and then ask them what's going on. What are some things? Well, there's there's some traction with a bill to maybe like lock school doors or something. So you just kind of take it both ways, and then that's it. Like you know somebody by a name, and they know you, and um. And then, uh, you know, letter, I don't know, letter to the editor, it's a starting point, but like a journal article is, you know, 700 words, maybe a page, right? You know, um, and that's a good point. So I'm going to actually come up with a list of, of magazines. It takes you a little while to probably get to the journal level, but where you could submit. And here's some different topics where you could kind of write in, I think maybe, you know, get published, right? Because it could be the first time you've been published. And then... Um, and where was I going with that? So like that type of thing, legislator. Oh, like, you know, if you want to, if you want to go bigger stage, right. I mean, you could try for a journal article or you could try, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, you're not going to go on PBS unless you really have like a deep area of something that you're going to go. I mean, when I presented on PBS, that took six months to put both those presentations together. Um, but I think, this is Graham and I were talking about this and, and he had a really good point though. He said it's primacy, right? It's you might be the only person they have ever met. Who's also like done this. And actually in the program that I teach and I know I'm the only person who's ever published. Um, and I mean, who's published through a publishing house, writes the books in every continent. It's on every continent. It's libraries all over the world. It's Squamish, you know, British Columbia, it's in Ontario. It's, uh, and you know, um, you might be the person, the only person they know who's done that. Or, you know, and I, I started to bring in this class articles from journals, you know, and I'd be like, here's an article of published in 2002, right? And I have them all in plastic. And, but I'm like, it's not abstract when you see somebody. I'm like, this could be you. And it, now that you are in a leadership role, you can influence, right? And, and have this bigger uh, impact. So I think people just, they don't know anybody. Like I never knew anybody, right, who did that or who made a movie. And I made a film with um, David Obst, who um, you probably know from like All the President's Men. He was uh, Revenge of the Nerds um, and also a Pulitzer Prize winner for the LeMay Massacre. So like, you know, um, and what I, I had another friend that was telling me the same thing of saying, you know, you, you, you're not probably looking at yourself the way you should be looking at yourself of, of, of being, of saying like, I've done this right. And you can do this or like parts of this or other things, but like you can get to this level if you, if you commit, I don't know, that sounds a little weird, but I mean, just of saying though, I don't, I, I don't think anybody in my class has ever thought that about writing an article or about emailing or calling a legislator saying, you know, could we meet to talk about school stuff? So just putting those ideas out there and it is, it is pretty wild because like people will bring in my books in class and they'll say, would you sign your, you know, either one of the books? I'd be sure. But you know, that's why I always bring like my good pen, uh, my Mont Blanc to class. I never tell people at the start though. I never say like, if you bring in my, if you get by my book and bring it in, I'll sign it for you. I never do that. But there are people then who will, you know, have it and say, would you sign I'd say, yeah. And I usually, 
well, I don't usually anymore, but I guess I could bring in the stamp. I used to bring the stamp in to class and just have it in my backpack so I could stamp it too with the special kind of insignia for the book. But, uh, but yeah, you know, I'm like, of course, of course I would do that. Um, and so, yeah, that was, that was cool. So there's probably a podcast theme in that at some point of like, I, I think there's something um, like, in, I don't know if it's leadership um, exactly what it would be, but it, it's somewhere in that of like, do that type of stuff. And it doesn't, again, take it out of the education realm, but like, you know, uh, you know, who's somebody who, you know, who like has, you know, worked on their own car and, you know, kind of rebuilt it or somebody who's built their own house or somebody who's, you know, so, or does their own garden, right. Who, who has grown their own, you know, their, their stuff. So like some of these are just people have, have these example exemplar tendencies to them. So find people, you know, like that and then just kind of ask and just like, whoa, you know, it's just, it's, it's kind of a cool thing, but um, yeah, I never knew anybody who presented on PBS and I've done it twice. And that is, that will be a podcast sometime because that to go to, to fully understand what goes into being a presenter on PBS, a live presentation, a national presentation, right? Twice. But um, the, there's a, there's a massive internal um, demand to, to do that, to, to do the research and to get ready and prepare. And like, you have to really have it down to like the minute, uh, but there's this massive reward, right. And this interaction with people and like, people want to see you succeed too. They're not coming there to see you fail. And, um, and then to have that kind of legacy and people call you, um, that see it because it aired in Austin, Texas, you know, a few days ago or something like that. And, and it still has an impact right on people. Um, there's something really magical about that and, and, um, kind of pushing to that level. And I don't know, I, I think there's something really cool that, so I love Squamish says Bolo. Of course he does. That's a great area. They have both of my books. Here's the T-Rex. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. So, uh, my stamp says regards Bolo. Um, that is good. So let's see. Um, zippy to Jordan waiting on a couple things to come in. Then I want to try and stream a MOBO replacing some USB header pins. Wow. Wow, that's good stuff. So let's take a look in the fantasy football world. Um, what happened? I, uh, I'm in two leagues. One league I've been in for like 25 years and the other is the School for the Blind. I still am in the faculty league down there. So I was defeated um, by my friend Justin. 145, 139. Um, so he is now one and one, and I am one and one. Um, so I won, I won that league and won the other league last year. But that's a good score. I mean, he did a nice job. 
Um, now, in the in the other league, which is a the league I've been in for 25 years, I won. I came from behind. I had Stefan Diggs, who had three touchdowns and 148 yards. And um, I I won 136 to 102, which is pretty incredible um, because I was projected to lose that in that initial matchup. So I'm 2-0, and that's the league I went and won last year. And actually, I made the playoffs at 7-7 seven and seven and then worked my way through the playoffs. So... Um, if I can keep up here and you know get seven eight wins, at least I'll be back in the in the playoffs. So it's a really good start here to be, because the guy I was playing was one and zero. So here I am, I am two and zero. That might be my first two and zero start in a long time. Um. So overall, out of four games so far this season, I am three wins and one close loss. So I will, I will take that. Um. Wow, was, I didn't expect that. I expected to go over and be like, "Oh, I got." I expected it the other way. I thought I was going to lose in the the league I've been in a long time and win in the other one, but uh, but good, it's good stuff. Um, so, well, let me do the summary. All right, the summary is: don't confuse a single defeat with a final defeat. Yes. May 2nd, 2016, I went to defend my dissertation in front of my advisor and four committee members, and I it was shut down like in 10 minutes. I was done. Hey, it's Phil Henry who's going to be on the show very soon. Hello, Phil Henry. You have to play this one back because I'm almost done, but it's a good friend, Phil Henry. Hey, Phil. Um, and, well... Um, you know, so I didn't get, I didn't get my PhD or you don't get a warrant where they sign off. It's kind of weird that they call it warrant. I mean, all this stuff like, what is a warrant? Well, it's, you gotta take it up and they issue your diploma then. Um, but then basically, you know, I fixed a few things and they didn't have me redo it. I didn't have to try to defend again. And they signed off and I got my, just, I received my PhD, which I am going to have up and back. Um, I'm waiting. Um, Coop is making a logo, that safety doc logo you see up in the corner. He's doing that out of metal and it'll be lit and stuff like that. And that's going to go. And once that comes in, then I think I'm going to do the the frame and then I'll break open my PhD, you know, which has been sealed in a cardboard mailer. Um, and I'll put that up in the back. Um, and the PhD was completely worth it. I appreciate the university. I made a technical mistake. Um, on that, I learned from it. I, I, PhD was a most valuable degree, most valuable valuable process I went through. Um, you know, I learned how to analyze data. I learned how to talk to people to really like get answers of what was what was going on. Right, how to analyze things, how to um, how how to go directly to the sources, um, how uh, citations. Right, that you you know your credibility is so much based. Um, on who you're citing and that you're getting in or what you're citing, you know, for information. Again, that's why I have 471 citations in philosophy of information. So I wouldn't have learned any of that, well, at least not the way that I learned it without the PhD. Um, so, so many things great came from that, especially the two books and the competence to write the books. Uh, 
So, but yeah, when you do a defense and you fail, holy smokes, man, that is, that is one of those things. It's like, that is a hard thing to come back from. Um, so it can be a hard thing. It, it never, it never got me down though. It, not even for a minute. I was just kind of stunned. And I was like, come on, like, come on, really? You know? Um, and then, um, yeah, normally I haven't talked about this, right? Because, you know, it's been six years and stuff, but like, that's how it went down. You know, like, again, I was, you know, my, uh, my priest was there and saw it and he was, he was just saying like, too, like, whoa, this was really, I don't know how these things go, but I'm sure they don't go this way. And, uh, and yeah. And instead of, for them, it was a teaching moment, right? Your university for goodness sakes that sit down or, you know, with, with me and, and, but again, I guess that's not part of that dissertation process. If you're, if you're, but again, it should be, it should be. And I would, I would think like, you know, again, I'm a dissertation team, you know, member that I, I would bring, I would, I would stop it, go over things and whatever. And, uh, I don't, I, I wouldn't do it that way. I've never done that kind of in consulting or even like in, it would be like equivalent in my classes. I had, I remember last year I had a group presenting because the one class, there's some presentations that are required and they really struggled with their presentation. Um, but they researched it really well. They didn't condense it very well. Um, because again, you know, I'm saying this is, needs to be consumable for like a school board. Right. And so it kind of got out of hand and I think they recognized it as they were, as they were doing it. Right. So when they completed it, you know, I said, all right, you put a lot of work into this. Right. Um, and I think it was too much. Right. So, but I know the work that you put into this, you know, not, so if you were to do this, um, again, that it was a little, it was more consumable for a school board. Um, cause how, how might you take what you have and cut it down by 80%. And then I would ask the class kind of too, like, what were some things in the class here? Um, uh, that, what were some things when they got into it that you thought were kind of like the main points, and then bring it up. And, and then I would just tell, you know, tell people like, this is, we're just going through this. Like you did a, you've done the presentation, like you've put all of us in. Right. And I appreciate that. Um, but you to do to do this presentation to a board and and then again kind of going back to like you know I've done presentations where I've had too much information and you kind of realize it afterwards or you hope somebody tells you afterwards so when or you can recognize it or you can tell somebody else hey like you got too much here and that was really good and nobody nobody felt bad right or anything like that um, and but yeah it was it was just that and I followed up with everybody individually after that and. And stuff like that too um but i don't know when is when is yelling okay again i don't know i remember um i remember that i had that one administrator who who told me they did the socially distanced fire drills that was like two years ago it was in class like we we're talking about what are you doing for to, for safety in the time of the pandemic when kids are being toggled in and out of school and and then it was you know, at that moment, like 
then he was kind of like, oh my God, like that doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? Like what we did and other people are kind of like, this, they didn't say anything. And I said, that doesn't make any sense at all, right? Um, I said, I understand why you did it. And I thank you so much for saying it. And like, right, this is a very difficult thing because people are expecting you to, maybe that was the only way that could have been done that time. Uh, because that's what people were telling you and that's what administration and the county expected and the parents or whatever, but, but, uh, but right. Um, and then, you know, we had some good talks after that and then it, it was a good reflection, but it wasn't like me saying, I didn't say like, you're crazy or like, you know, your district is, you know, doesn't know what they're doing. And this is, I would never do that. Um, but at the same time, right. We, we were kind of analyzing it and, um, but yeah, that is, I don't know. I just, I, I, you know, I had this, I had this, um, I had blogs all done, but I, I wanted to talk about that, um, dissertation defense for a while. Like I had that in, I had that all written and it just didn't seem kind of like the right time to get into it and stuff like that. So I just let it go, let it go, let it go. And then I was like, yeah, oh, I'm going to bring it up now. Episode 187, especially after, you know, I had Graham on and, and Graham was talking about the primacy effect of his students, right? At flight school and how they emulate what he does in a good way. Um, and then I was just kind of going and, and thinking, you know, I'll give people a backstory of here of just how much of a mashup it was when I did that uh, dissertation process. And uh, then also, you know, I'm, I, I did, there are some things of that. I think that it aren't good. You know, I don't think you should, I don't think there should be an expectation that the person doing the dissertation brings in food. Um, you know, and that's still to this day, right? That they do that. They, and, you know, and, and it was expensive back then. Now it'd be even more expensive. I don't think that should, that should ever happen. That shouldn't be a, at all part of this. Um, and you know, oh, it's traditional. Like, that's garbage. Like that, get rid of that. The other thing is, um, you know, the, this whole, you know, ProQuest or owns the rights to, or, or, you know, I guess you own the copyright, right? Like I own the copyright to my books, but I couldn't print them off and sell them. I mean, the publisher has to do that, but, um, this whole thing under ProQuest and that, you know, they make money off of pe other researchers and buying your book and stuff like that. I'm like, well, that's garbage too, right? It's a digital age of stuff's out there. It should be not behind a paywall. I mean, you've paid for this through your institution. You should have a choice. So I'm like, there's somebody making money off of my work, <laughs> right? And this whole thing, like, you know, it has a lot of these types of little pieces in them. Where I'm, I'm like, that's not cool. So, um, and again, I guess my words to my dissertation defense committee, if I was to meet with them, um, and I don't think I'll see any of those people ever again, but if I was to meet with them, and by the way, I did send a copy of my first book signed to my um, advisor. He never like emailed me or called me or anything. It was kind of a weird thing. I was like, well, you know, interesting. But uh, but if I had if I was to sit down with them, I would I would say, what was that all about? And also like, uh, if my my advice to them as a twice published author and PBS and a professor of the year and things. And, you know, you can say you've been in your professor roles and research, but you know, I've, I've done this too is, is, uh, you know, you don't, you don't do that. 
you absolutely do not uh, just shut down a dissertation. That is not cool. Um, and yeah, it's this this whole this whole thing is um, right. There's just such a, a weight of the institution, right? This this positionality, right? You're walking into this massive, big, expensive building, and these people who have hold everything over you at that point. Um, and just be like, you know, be cool. Um, and that was the thing. Like, it wasn't a cool experience. Even if it didn't go well, it still could have been a cool experience. But, and then the very end of just getting a piece of paper signed by everybody and then just having to walk it up the hill. And thankfully, like I said, it was, it was just really, it was anticlimactic. And then there was this, the lady who processes all of these things, thankfully, like she was, she was just a naturally upbeat person. And so that was, that was cool. Like, so I remember that. I remember this person just having, Oh my, Oh, you know, this is what you did it on. And it's, a, I know these are a lot of work and, you know, good for you. And I was like, oh, thank you. Thank you for having that personality that you have. I appreciate that. Um, but yeah, that was, it was a weird, kind of a weird thing. Um, and, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to take from this story kind of when I listen back to the show, but again, I think it's a single defeat. It's not a final defeat. And, um, I, again, I, I really don't look at this and as Bolo, you guys kind of pointed, pointed out, but I don't look at this as where I, I did something, um, drastically wrong. <laughs> like, I think that's also part and just beyond, I mean, I'm, if I'm honest, I would admit my mistakes, right? I would admit, oh, like I made this mistake or I did, you know, this and, um, and own up to it. Right. I mean, I'm not infallible, but I'm looking at this saying I didn't make a big mistake here. And if the mistake really was in, in the, the protocol or the delivery, um, then that's kind of wrong with the system, right? because you're really going for the content. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, that's so, I don't know. I don't know. Um, but again, only 50% of people who start a doctoral program ever complete it. Uh, some people do everything except the dissertation that's called all but doctorate. So every once in a while, you'll see people with those credentials, which personally I would never put those on. If I didn't complete the doctorate, I would just leave that off. <laughs> I just, I just went, because right by doing that, you're kind of like, oh, and, and there's a time frame too. If you don't complete your dissertation within like two or three years, then you have to start over. So um, you can't, you know, be like, well, I did everything, but the dissertation, then seven years later, you're going to do the dissertation. It doesn't work that way. So um, yeah. And once you have a PhD, by the way, especially like Madison, so the flagship university, like you know, then that allows me to, like, I have a friend who's getting his PhD from a university in Florida, and he asked me to be on his committee. And then that allows you to just do that, right? Like, he can invite, there's rules that, that you can usually invite, like, one person outside of your university, but they have to have a PhD and a, be a faculty member at a university, which I am. And then that's kind of just it, you know? And so then I am on his committee, and, uh, and so, so there is some kind of neat lateral, lateral stuff there. And then also the PhD is a door opener. 
you write a book, having a PhD is a big thing with that. The universities, stuff that I do all opened up after the PhD, all of the higher end legal classes, because you you really need to have that PhD, you know, to do that in the university relies heavily on PhD faculty um, to, to introduce that they have a, a certain level level of scholarly work being done. I know this is kind of complicated, but um, so like when I'm writing books and publishing like these policy articles that reflects very well on the university. Now it's two ways because the university does a ton for me of allowing me, offering me these classes to teach, which I love these very coveted high level law classes and offering me new classes. So it's very symbiotic, right? Um, and the university that I teach for, which is a private university. Um, so we have a really good partnership there, which we've had for 19 years and just seems to get better every year. And I've, and I've said this, like when I go on campus, like it is always a magical, a magical kind of experience because it is this super well-maintained, you know, kind of built in the 1880s, but like, you know, maintained and updated and things like that campus. It's, it's, almost has like a Disney world feel without like, you know, being a Disney world, just how meticulously appreciate it and maintain the campus is. Um, uh, yeah, I, I just, I know that I'm lucky. I honestly know that and the university will kind of say things back to, to me too. Like we're, we're, you know, we're very fortunate to have you, you know, and the things that you do to contribute to our, uh, certification as an institute of higher ed, the projects that you do in the publications, the demonstration scholarly work. So it goes both ways, but I'm like, this is really good. So, um, so win or lose, there's always something to learn. What's his expertise? So who are you asking, uh, that famous? Oh, no. Down. So, yeah. Um, Freedom of speech, yeah. The males, oh, wow. Um, I also had a, I, one of my students, uh, we had a short, short reflection paper. And again, that's just not busy work, but it's trying to get, I'm trying to get people on board with saying, you know, you have to, know that you have professional discretion and you have to be able to use it, right? And then when you're not there, you have a delta force, which are the next people in charge, and they have to believe that they can use it and you'll have their back. And one of the students wrote something about, you know, also it's very important to um, be positive and generally like what you do, right? Not just to put on a facade, but generally find enjoyment in what you do, even if it's like not work that's always enjoyable, right? The way that you present yourself. And then I highlighted that. And when we got to class and we were going through it, I went back and I said, uh, this is a really good statement. So like, how do you do this? Like, how do you, what do you do? Like, I kind of think of like Robin Williams as Patch Adams, right? Of, you know, of uh, just th this, this kind of energy, right? Maybe the way that I present uh, to some extent. And I just said, how do you, how do, you do this, right? And so, you know, she gave an example of, you know, just kind of a spontaneous, uh, you know, day where they kind of threw stuff out the window and, and kind of use like a, I don't know, some theme of whatever, a hat day or, or you know, walk backwards. I don't know what it was. Just things that changed stuff up. But but it was good because it, it, 
the finite voltage and kind of breaking things up. But, but then, you know, like I have people in there who are very, very serious and I'm not sure like if they're just serious because the class and the class is kind of serious, right? The content is serious. And, but you know, so I would say like, what do you do? Like, it's okay to have fun with this stuff. As long as you don't, you're not making light of it and you're doing your job, it's okay to, to, to have fun, right? It is, it's, it's, you know, it's fine to do that. It's fine. Um, and actually it's essential, right? I think of mash, right. And you have to be Hawkeye Pierce once in a while. Um, and so, yeah, people didn't have an answer for me on that, you know, so I just, I'll bring it back up in the next class of saying like, what, what do you do to, so when you walk into a, a room, right. And you, especially when you're a leader, like people are like, Oh, like, this will be, this will be cool. Like there'll be something funny that I had a, I had one administrator like that who was, I had two administrators who were like that. And, uh, and one was uh, hilarious. He took a piece of Saran or the clear Saran paper and put it over um, the business manager's coffee mug. Steve is, was the business manager. He took it, put it over his coffee mug and then Steve would always go and put his coffee mug underneath and then the machine would just start to put the coffee in. And the superintendent did this, like it was after the night of a long board meeting and whatever. And, and Steve goes there and this coffee's running all over and says, like, what's going on here? And then everybody's just like cracked up on the administrative team. And Steve thought it was funny too. And it was, it was kind of juvenile and, and whatever, but it was the right thing at the right time. And there was always this weird, not weird. There was always this really keen sense of timing that the soup had, but yet the soup was like ultra professional, like super respected, you know, around the area it was just uh, bill, you know, was the, the soup and he was just awesome. And I learned so much from him just like ad admired like the, this guy's everything that, it, that he had, he did, but he, he had, he was so also funny and would kind of like, bring that humor into people. It wasn't just prank stuff. It would just be things that he would, he would come up with. And I was like, God, you know, I just, I'm, I, and I'm like, I, I'm glad I work here, even the same amount of work and all of that stuff, but I'm glad. And you would look forward to meetings, you know, and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, someday down the road, we can go with uh, good bosses, bad bosses. Because it was a 50-50 split for me. Um, Robin Williams is a hard lesson. Yeah, really, truly. What a tragic end to his life and his circumstances. Um, like it or not, make a game of it. Be your best. Yeah, that's, that's it. You know, be your best. And, you know, I'm, honestly, like one of my... One of my closer friends in administration kind of, I, I think, lost the humor side of things. Um, the, the job kind of sucked him in more and more. And I don't, I don't know if he'll ever really return to how he was like when he was a new administrator, right? And again, it's a thing where it's kind of the fatigue thing where, you know, bad things, you have to deal with kind of negative things and very frequently in if you can't break out of that cycle, it gets hard to, I mean, then if you're, then if you do anything, that's a little bit of humor, like even if somebody gets something from the copy machine and it's stapled on the wrong side, you, you point it out, then they think you're making light of the whole situation, right? Or you're not taking things serious enough. I mean, so then 
measure your words. And once it happens, you know, like that primacy, like uh, Graham was saying, like people never, not people, but it's hard to return back if like you do something and like it's, there's a big overreaction to it. Um, so especially like if those same players are in the, in the mix, but yeah, you know, and it's, it's weird because, um, I told you, like I got one of the calls today and the person's like, I had to get permission and just in order to talk to you, I'm like, well, I mean, probably because of the legal stuff I do and the other stuff, well, I'm, I'm you know, I'm just me. I'm not going to, honestly, I don't know what you heard, but I'm not going to, I, I'm never going to set you up, you know, anybody. Right. And, uh, um, I remember when I did, well, when I did the velocity of information, I mean, people, when I was doing the interviews, right, there was, there were many things people told me that I decided not to include in the book. Um, and because it was very personal or else if it reflected bad on their industry, right. And they were all like authentic things, but I'd be like, you know, I can tell this without telling this part of it or like this won't age well, or also like this isn't going to reflect well. So like, for example, Larry Lawton, America's biggest jewel thief, right? Larry gave me some photos, you know, to put in the book. And he usually, when people have Larry on a show and I had him on my show and I used the one photo where he's in kind of his gangster look, you know, and stuff and which, you know, he wrote the book gangster redemption and he, he, emphasizes that a lot in what he does because you know when he was in prison and the gangster life but you know when i interviewed him and i talked to him i said you know for the book i said you know i i don't want to go down that route because i think a lot of people have done that with you and, and i said larry i also like i just i really respect you as a very smart person right your your observation skills and and there's so many stories you've shared that i just think are are like extremely intellectual and i want to reflect the intellectual side and not kind of the survival in the environment side, the, the keenness of watching your environment during nine 11, right. As a, as a prisoner, and then get into the other things afterwards, you're teaching kids how to learn debate. Right. And, and so that was just a res respect for Larry, because I think using that picture, everybody, everybody turns that page and they're like, Oh, here's, Here's what the, we think, like a, a gangster, right? And I think it would be hard to separate that out as they're reading the rest of the chapter in that book. Um, and there were other reasons. There, there were just things I did when I yeah, was interviewing, and I'm like, I'm, and I would tell people, like, this is a great story, but I'm not going to include this part of it because, right, someone could come back and it, it doesn't, it might, it's, I don't think it's going to, it's not in your best interest for me to put this in here. Like I'm going to, I'm going to write something that is going to be, I don't know if I'm trying to make it flattering for people, but I want it to be something where they can say I was in this book and they're proud of it. Right. And they're proud of how I've written about their story. Um, and that I haven't also taken not liberties, but necessarily focused on things that would have been like even more dramatic to try to, to grab readers, you know, like Robert Travis and the crab boat. I mean, I spent a lot of time on that chapter to capture, kind of that life or death moments, um, which I think I did, but there was, there were even more stuff that I, that I kind of put off on the side because I'm like, this captures it without, I think going over the top. And then someone is maybe getting the impression that, you know, you're, you're way too out of touch with your 
environment like and you're kind of seeking this stuff because i don't think that's you like you're very methodical in your your company of you know rooftop life rafts and and uh so i'm not going to do it to to sell a couple books like extra like to to do a little click clickbait right um I'm, it's going to really be a, it'd be something like you're going to read it. Your kids are going to read this stuff. It's always going to reflect really professionally well on you. So there's that responsibility, I think, too, as, as an author. Um, we need humor and comedy to laugh at our differences. So Jordan, when I was, when I was doing my doctoral program and I had a class and, um, Two, I was working on a project. I don't know what it, the project exactly was, but I had um, two people I was working on the project with, Sheltrice and Desiree. And we we just had so much humor and, and quirkiness and and fun. Um, and I just I just appreciate it, like what they brought. And I remember like it was back when um it wasn't PowerPoint. It was a different thing where you could kind of move around. I forget what it was called, but it wasn't working well. And Sheltrice was just like cracking jokes left and right because the technology was new and it was, you know, computers weren't that good back then. And, um, but yeah, um, CT Robert, uh, Robin Williams was a guy that had really high highs. Some he was low. He was really dark. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think they're, there are probably a lot of people we interface with that are like that. Again, when I wrote the velocity of information and, and, you know, was studying how people handle kind of, you know, chaos and the burnout points and things like that. But when I was just in the global body of research with that, um, I was like, yeah, people and some advice I received early on in my career, I don't know from who, but it was like, Things are never as good as you think they are, but things are never as bad as you think they are. So try to stay in the middle. And I think there's some risk in probably not enjoying the highs as much with that, but it's also, um, it keeps you from hitting the lows somewhat, um, the really low lows. But uh, but yeah, um, I think those people who, you know, th there are probably more people than we know who have these really big swings um, in how things go. So, um, yeah, I'm, and the thing is like, do you really know, you know, do you know it? And I don't, I don't know. I, I have to think about that one a little bit more. Um, Zippy saying, half of the world is too busy self-loathing and shocked and hateful to what is different. Humans are annoying. Yeah, it's kind of like um, like Batman, right? The Dark Knight. Some people just want to watch the world burn. And then they think, I right? People just aren't happy. Um, and there are circumstances, right? But I've also seen, uh, you know, people who have, I guess, you know, career and, and money and things like that. And also who are just kind of very negative. Um, so I don't know. Um, it's hard and it just is. Uh, Norm McDonald. Oh man. Yeah. I remember after Norm died going and watching a ton of Norm McDonald YouTube clips. And I, I remember in Billy Madison, I thought Norm McDonald uh, was 
fun. I thought that movie in general was fun. Um, CT, this is why I love working with construction workers and vets. Humor and especially dark humor, just the way of life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do. Yeah. I think that's a, that is a good point. Um, Bacon, I tried to tell them it was not in their best interest for me to put this thing in there. I may have had to say that once or twice. So, Safety Doc Side Stories, new book titles, do it. Well, somebody, I, I won't remember these or which one should be book title. I, I wrote down the density of facts. I think that came out of one of the, the shows, but um, I actually, like, I'll do a show and just talk about the pranks that I pulled. Um, you know, when I was in professional roles, like one time I, I made this, uh, this fake, uh, complaint from the state. <laughs> it was, it was just one sheet. You got to the bottom and said, this is just kidding. But I, I made up an envelope of saying like, a, this is a due process complaint and, and open it immediately. And I sent it to some of my friends who are administrators, right? So it's a legal complaint. Those are pretty big things. And one of my, but then it opened it. Oh, it was a picture we had. We were all out golfing. So inside there was a picture of us golfing. And then, but at first it was a cover letter from like a fake law firm. And then I said, just kidding. And that was a picture of us. I sent them. And every one of them, the moment they got that, right, they thought, oh my God, because I sent it like registered mail. And the ones like my secretary got me out of a meeting. And she's like, oh my God, I can't believe, you know, whatever. So he like he's like, oh God, now it's big, you know, big lawsuit going on here. And they open it up and then, oh my goodness, you know, David. And, and that was, that was cool. And one time I bought uh, uh, pints of maple syrup for everybody that I worked with um, in a district. So it probably cost me like 500 bucks back then to do. It was like uh, at Christmas time, I bought every in custodial, everybody, everybody who worked in the district, I bought and gave them a pint of maple syrup. Um, but I did, I did do a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of kind of practical joke type things. Um, so <laughs> we had one where there was a drawing. So it was, it was, uh, the district did, um, like this, this fundraising thing for United Way. And I was in charge of it, but you would have drawings and so staff could win prizes. And the whole thing was kind of weird that I look back on it. But anyway, um, I always threw in a couple people that didn't win. And then I'd always have some prize that obviously didn't make sense. So like I'd say, All right, hey, the athletic director, you know, won and he uh, he won a free pass to all sporting events in the in the district. Right. And, uh, and then it would take people a little bit to be like, oh, well, he like, he does that anyway. Like he's, he doesn't have to pay to go to any sporting events or, you know, like I, I had another one with, uh, I think, I don't know if it was like, you know, a VHS copy of the movie Spaceballs or something like that. And, and, uh, so there, I mean, if I actually, if I sat down and actually thought about the type of stuff and probably early in my career, oh my goodness, we had some really good ones. <laughs> like <laughs> we had a text, the text to speech programs, you know, but we're talking like 20 years ago. So you could make, you could put it in another language. And I remember we had, we had it 
in like Portuguese or something. And then we were leaving messages on the gym teacher. who was a good friend of mine on his phone, on his office phone. And then he didn't, he didn't know what was going on with these messages until somebody else who said they knew how to translate Portuguese, but actually didn't. They're, we're just playing this joke, right? Um, we said, well, there's this family moving in and this, this, they have a son or daughter who's like kind of Olympic grade athlete, but they, they, it's kind of weird. Like they want to interview you as the gym teacher and that, you know, what you're going to do to help, you know, move them along. And I said, I don't know the whole thing. Like they were, you know, they were here and they were meeting with the principal. And, and so the, this, uh, so this, this fad teacher's like, wow, wow. I, I don't, I don't know what I think this again, we're talking like 15, 20 years ago. And he, so he's a little bit intimidated by this because he thinks he has like this Olympic athlete, maybe eighth grader coming in and, and the parents are really strict about, you know, what kind of fight they, this, this kid participates in because they're going on this path. And, and, and so it's like this person listens to these messages and then they translate and they're like, you know, you've got to do this, you got to do this. And the child's got to have offered this and we're going to come in and we're going to be, and, and the, the, and none of this is true. It's just random stuff on this. So this guy was freaked out. And then I think what we did is we uh, we just um, we we just said the kid the family didn't move here. And then we never told him it was a joke. So <laughs> so he's like he was just to get, he was getting ready for this family to come. In. I mean, nothing that would ever, of course, be harmful. I mean, we would never do that. But, uh, but that was, that was, a oh, Prezi, Prezi, that was a thing. Yeah, Phil, that's exactly what it was. Um, Desiree was like, it, in back then the computers and the connections weren't very good, you know, that not a lot of RAM and the, so this thing was just bogging down in her and she was just like doing stand-up comedy to blow off her frustration with this not working. And the prof was like, yeah, I get what you guys are doing there. And it's a technical thing. And, but she was just hilarious. Um, so Robin Williams couldn't moderate his vices. Yeah. Mork and Mindy. Remember that? Um, some people can sip alcohol and not go overboard. So um, let's see. Jordan is saying to CNT, I was like that probably still, but I try to laugh at myself. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I think I refl I try to laugh at myself. I'm not nearly as serious, um, as I was, you know, like, um, not anywhere near that. It's kind of weird because like it's inverse, the more, <clears throat> the more credentials I have, you know, and, you know, publish a big policy piece that could have impact on national legislation and, you know, the books and stuff like it, it I've inversely just become more kind of nonchalant. Right. And, but even like today, like when I, when people talk, you know, they're always like Dr. Proden and is, you know, so glad to, you know, talk and work with you on this and whatever. Like, it's likewise, yeah, same. So, you know, and, and then, you know, they're always kind of like, well, what do you, do? what are you doing? Like this week? I'm like, well, tomorrow's gonna be warm. So I'll be out biking. I'll be, I don't be doing anything else today. I just, I'll just be biking and, uh, and then, you know, I'll be doing other stuff, but, um, I'll be biking. So, oh, this is blazing saddles. There's no way you could make that movie today. True. Um, all it did was make fun 
Yeah, and now people, um, yep, yeah, remember um, who was uh, from Appleton, uh, Gene Wilder, too, and and that, and and of government, right? Of harumph, 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 and you know, we have to, um, yeah, things have have really, well, I mean, obviously, they've really changed. Uh, Norm McDonald, yeah, Norm McDonald was. I, I really uh, liked um, his comedy. I just said, thought he had such good de- good delivery. Um, this is a zippy. Doc, do a book on pranks, silliness, and awesome stories that were hard to print in other things. Hmm. Um, yeah, I've, I want to do, I mean, at least start with a show and go through a ton of... Uh, these pranks, uh, some were small and some were kind of coordinated. Um, but they, you know, they were good and yeah, I kind of miss that. Cause now I don't work really in a situation where I can do pranks. Like the university is not really the place for that. Um, and with consulting, you know, there really isn't time for that. I mean, you can, uh, so, it's kind of like you could have to be more at conferences or, you know, people that you've known for a long time. And cause right. You just can't prank someone you don't know, but especially today. Um, but, uh, I don't know. I'd have to, have to think about, think about it. Um, imagine joining a tribe. I, um, we have a on Thursdays a farmers market, and so you know try to get down there and get stuff you know vegetables and there's a lady who makes salsa really awesome sugar free salsa and well I remember like the first time like I, I bought some first I was like well like there seems to be a lot of people selling salsa like why should I buy this. And I, she was kind of surprised. And she's like, well, I boil this down like four hours and do this. I'm like, well, that's cool. Okay, good. I was just kind of curious because I'm like, um, and it was awesome. And so this is weird because she had her her name and her phone number and address on the thing. So it was like her and her husband run this like farm and stuff like that. So I texted the phone number and I said, hey, like I bought this um, salsa today and it was awesome. So like, it was great. And so like the next time I came back, she's like, Hey, were you the person that texted me about the thing? I'm like, yeah. And she's like, that made my day. Like, that was really cool because like no one really takes the time right to do that. It was just so that was a cool thing. Like, well, I said the salsa was awesome. Like, it was, um, and I'm really glad. You know, some back for more. But uh, and then people be by and I'd be like, it's the best salsa ever, right here. Hardware checks out windows. Okay. Um, This is Jordan saying, I'm a all or nothing guy. Right now, I'm not using any physical vices. Three weeks clean and still going. Good job, buddy. Very good. Um, yeah, I remember the Dennis Leary. I think I have that song somewhere, actually. Um, Zippy saying, uh, go you. My vices are just sugar, caffeine, and some nicotine lossages. Copious amounts of self-loathing. Oh, my goodness. Um, 
the market here uh, sells some nice and hot jalapenos and sugar syrup at Scotty. Yeah, that, that is something I want to add back is jalapenos. Um, my godfather used to just eat them raw. Always had them in his fridge, right? And, and he would bring them on a bowl um, and he would eat them. And, and yeah, and I, I really love spicy food. Um, so it is like the spicier, the better. I have a lot of different like hot sauces and things like that, that I add to, to things. So, um, it's good stuff. All right. Well, thanks for supporting the safety doc. Um, and October 10th, I have a, a guest on, she is a, a fitness trainer and kind of does it more um, like specifically for like a family or for, um, you know, like, um, uh, elderly people or something. I mean, it's, it's, so it's kind of like person by person and puts together the plan. And she's going to talk about the psychology of, um, of what motivates people and when they come to her, like what they want. So like, if you're 20 years old and you're, you won't want fitness. Like this is really kind of what you're trying to get, like your image of what you think you would make you fit and happy. But when you're like 70, that's different and kind of in between. And, and then like the whole motivation um, part of it. And uh, she's just, she's really good. And I'm glad she's going to be on, onto the show or on the show. Um, so, and then I do have uh, Phil Henry, you know, coming back on the show. So good stuff. And I said, I've got some other, other topics, you know, I want to talk about. Um, oh, I want to do a show too. Like I, have, I do have like a list in a Google doc, but I want to do a show on, is it, uh, is it worth it to teach um, part-time college? Something like that. Because I've done that for 20 years, right? And I think the answer definitely is yes. And also, like, I don't think people consider this and you don't need a PhD to, you know, teach at a community college, for example. Um, but I I think that is a great um, growth activity and, and uh, you know, probably pretty low stress. I, although, like, I put a lot into what I do and, and I think there's a different level of respect and, um, you know, like definitely teaching college versus teaching in a K-12, but, uh, and you get to kind of customize and your own growth and stuff. But, um, I don't know. I want to, I want to talk about that process because I've, I've been doing that 20 years and I have no intention to stop, uh, doing that. So Jordan, the answer actually is yes on that. That's why I'm not sharing out a picture or anything ahead of time. But yes, it's kind of, it, it reminds me a little bit of when I had Katie Pashan on the show, right? Because people would comment afterwards and say, holy smokes, um, Katie is quite pretty, right? So I'd be like, here we are talking about the Cajun Navy relief. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but yes, is I guess uh, uh, an answer to that. So I guess you'll, um, but I mean, she's, she's a great person and I'm 
just fortunate that she's said, yeah, I'll come on and, and talk about this stuff on the show. So, um, good deal. Well, Zippy, what you will do, or well, maybe what you can do is, uh, yeah, give me give me some suggestions on a on a USB headset. I guess I want to go with a wired headset. I've had some issues with uh, with wireless in the house. Uh, USB wired headset, and then also, yeah, I just I, I need to upgrade the type of stuff, that type of stuff. So, um, the chair and the popcorn here from Jordan. Yeah, and I've like I said, I've I've got the head of Wisconsin esports, but that won't be a, a show. With well, he'll be on. Um, we'll record that, and then um, TJ Martinell is going to come back on, but he wants to do that, so it's not a live show. And then we'll do a, a premiere, so I'll be in the chat afterwards. I wish there was a way on Streamyard they should come up with this where you can do a show, and then you know, kind of like the old. Theater 3000 or whatever that was, Science Theater 3000. And like I could be down in the corner, right? So I'd be right here, but the show would be playing and then I could be commenting on it as it's happening, right? Um, which maybe there's a way to do that. But that would that would be pretty cool. Um, I don't know if there is a way to do that with Streamer, but I suppose there might be a way. I don't know how much I want to really get into this, but StreamYard doesn't let you upload like that intro that was as big. It's like a 200 meg file and then that's it. You can't upload any more than that. So, I mean, if I had it ahead of time and I was like streaming it and then kind of talking while it was going and we were commenting, that might be kind of an interesting thing to do. Um, but I think like the eSports the e um, director, Mike, like it's going to be fascinating because there's there's what how this is emerging in schools but also like there there are so you just think of non esports like you know traditional maybe volleyball or something like that we're actually out there with the volleyball hitting around like that doesn't pair up very well apparently in our state with esports like they're they're kind of their own entities like they don't meet and talk about things and and stuff and i don't know if that's just why that is right so i want to kind of learn more about the bible i thought they would they were much more kind of collaborative than what they are so i was surprised by that but yeah that would be awesome runway that would that would like a mystery science theater 3000 um, but i can be in the corner well i can't now i can't do picture in picture because it just has this but um yeah, record myself, then record yourself watching the premiere in your chat. I, I have to try some of these things out. Um, but I think that would be kind of interesting. I wouldn't want to stop it. Like, when it, once it was playing, like, I just want it to go. So we would have um, on that. But I think I think it would be a cool show to do. Um, yeah, it's... A, I don't know. I gotta, I gotta technically kind of think that out a little bit of what I might do. Oh my god! I can set up OBS to play a whole video file from your PC. It's press a button. If you have a couple hours to kill, I can Discord you video chat, help you learn OBS. All right, my friend. Uh, so, but let me let me get through um, 
the first week of November because like with my class stuff in the weekends and then I'm like this weekend, I got firewood coming in and um, I kind of got a, a lot of stuff and then it slows down quite a bit for a while. So, but yeah, I, and maybe OBS is just a better system. Like I know people old humble, you know, uses OBS and I just don't know anything about it. So, um, but, uh, but yeah. And again, if you know anyone who you're like, I think that would be a good person to have on the show. Like that's how Graham Wilson got on the show. Might, it might've been you, Jordan, or no, Bacon, it was you. Graham um, got on the show because he saw, you know, you were kind of promoting, you know, my show on your channel and he was watching your channel and that's how Graham came over. And then Bolo, Bolo, you were the one to tell, or not tell, but you were to, to ask Graham, hey, can you do a show about clouds? Like, what's the different level of clouds and how does that kind of, you know, when you're flying, like, how do you, how does this impact you? Like a cumulo, cumulonimbus versus a stratus. And and uh, so that was cool. So we, we have this really kind of neat network going on. But if you're, if you know somebody and you're like, yeah, this person I think would be a cool to interview on this and let them know, you know, Doc would, you know, have you on and, and, you know, you could be, be a guest on the show and right. Cause like Graham, I think I was the first person to ever interview him like on a podcast format. So, and that was a fun show. We had a good time. Um, watching. Oh, come on below. Just go live. Yeah. Um, doc. Uh, well, let me know. I can hunt down tutorial. Um, sounds good. Yeah. Apparently there's no software I have to buy. So, Flying rich. So, Bolo, I just said my dad and I were talking about clouds. Oh, okay. Yeah, and then Graham takes it and, and puts it into presentation, right? And that's it's good because like I'm out there, I'm out biking, like and I'm just like cloud. I'm not thinking cumulonimbus, you know, Mr. Nimbus, Stratus, Cirrus, until you know I watch the show, and then I'm like, oh, so I've got a little different, I got a little little different take on here. So um Jordan, I met at the safety dock because of at super pilish. I thought I'd give the doc a try before Graham came on. Oh, good. Well, that's cool. Um, and I, you know, I went back Well, I was trying to, so one thing with Graham was, I was like, okay, so he just kind of, it seems like he started up again, like in the last six months, but he had this high number of views, but I was looking at his shows and I'm like, but they don't seem to have a high number yet. Like he's, you know, a hundred people maybe have watched it, his episodes and, you know, he's building up his base. And I went back and I saw the spoof videos he made about flying with the um, cartoon figures back around 2010-11. You know, they got like 50,000 views each. And I'm like, first of all, those are hilarious. And and, uh, and I'm like, okay, this is where... But then it showed his sense of humor. And I'm like, this stuff is hilarious. This, I, like I've watched several... And actually to the point where I'm like, I might be willing to pay the license fee for a year to have that... Uh, it's called Extra Normal. Now there's a company, Norwal, I think they bought them, where you have the animated characters and you can make them say things and stuff like that. And I think it would be hilarious to do that in a school context, right? And a kind of a respectful school safety thing, right? Where you're not pointing out any disrespect. Like, you know, how did your, uh, tell me about your fire drill today. You know, and we had a, you know, socially distanced fire drill. And then you have like somebody pause and look like, well, you know, well, what was that about? And, you know, whatever. And then kind of back and, um, and I just, I mean, I thought up like maybe three, four scenarios that I think would be 
originally kind of funny and then just to kind of keep it going. Um, but I think, I think there could be, um, some pretty funny, like five minute, you know, videos like that, that, that come onto the channel, um, that kind of, you know, poke at, but respectfully, you know, so, um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm thinking about that. I think, I think there could be some kind of, kind of neat things or even things like I could bring into this show that I could, that I could do, but, um, I'm OC on safety stuff at work. So, wow. It was a school. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really, I mean, I go back and I'm like, it's fascinating how I've gotten to know quite a few people, you know, like, you know, most of you in the chat, right? Because I got a, I have a podcast, um, which is really cool. And, um, you know, people through that process, through writing a book, yeah, PBS to some extent, you know, like I've gotten to know people or people call me up who I have no, I, I have, don't know, but you know, they've watched a presentation and it's resonated with them. And, um, but it's like Phil Henry, you know, and then, you know, Phil and I, he's giving me updates on what's happening in Germany and getting updates on what's happening in the U S you know, probably a couple times a week. Um, Chuck Mack, you know, university of Pittsburgh med what's happening out there in the telemedicine world. And so I'm like, I am just really fortunate, you know, to, to know like all of you and like to just to keep, keep this going. Right. And, and different people's content. And that's been, been really cool. Um, so yeah, that's, I go back, you know, and like I did the, the two shows with Preston Rice about drones and rescue drones. And we actually went out and, you know, he's flying his drones and I'm recording that, you know, it was a couple of years ago, but that was a really cool show. Like I learned a ton and got to know, you know, Preston better and, you know, he lives in my neighborhood and, uh, you know, so that was, that was cool stuff, man. Uh, Bolo saying speed bowline, not stock. That's my thing. Wow. All right. Your honesty shines through. That's Jordan, I think, to, uh, to Bacon. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think that's one thing. I think like all of you guys, I would say that definitely is there. Like honesty, like none of it is a performance. Um, uh, so yeah, that is like all you are very authentic people. Um, and, and, you know, your shows and your, your channels and stuff like that. So that's really, that's really cool. Um, so, all right. Well, I'm glad I won one game. I lost another. I eventually got my PhD. It's going to go up and back and it's going to have a nice frame. And, and uh, it's really cool. Coop is making, and he's gifting me. I mean, it was just the kind of guy he is right. Um, a, the wall art. It'll have my show logo and it'll light up and stuff like that. And, uh, and so it's going to be back there and, and you know, you can kind of move things around a little bit. Um, but, uh, but that's really, but that's really cool. So, all right. Well, I bought a bunch of bananas. So obviously they'll be going out with me on my bike ride tomorrow and I'll shut it down here and play a few things. And like, obviously watch hours help <laughs> sharing the channel helps letting people know 
book reviews help. And, you know, if you don't have a book, right, and you never know, right, if you contact the doc here at the safety doc at gmail.com, I might be able to help you out with that. Um, but reviews of my books help a lot. And obviously, only review it if you've consumed the book in one of the formats. You know, it's available, right? Um, but yes, that does make a big difference to have book reviews um, out there. And uh, it means a lot to me, too, to, to open up, you know, oh, Amazon, hey, there's there's a new review poster, right? So it is really late. So I need I need to bike. I can bike. I don't need a whole lot of sleep to do the route that I'm doing tomorrow. Um, so just a little bit of coffee and I'll be I'll be good to go. I really think tomorrow's the last bike ride of the year. Um, it's be 84 tomorrow, and then it's going to drop down into the 60s, and then you know I've just got a lot of stuff with the firewood coming in and classes, and then it's by October like that's then you're done. I mean, I guess you could bike technically, but I don't like to bike when it's 50 degrees and kind of windy and stuff. So this is tomorrow is really, that's it. I'll probably take my bike and put it downstairs and clean it and store it for the winter. Um, so it will be the big bag of beef jerky tomorrow and I will get the most out of it. But I've had a lot of bike rides this summer. So I really, really um, made the most of that. Phil, you're welcome. Um, and get a hold of me. Definitely want you back on the show. Thanks, everyone. Rubber side down, Doc. You got it. All right. So let me uh, hit us here with a with a few of the with a few of the outros. All right. Take care, everybody. This is your good friend, Doctor David Proden, uh, the safety doc. Um, wanting you to have a a terrific day. I'm going to put myself here on the Jumbotron. Look at this. I'm on the Jumbotron. And now I'm over here. This is a bar in Germany. All right. Just waving to everybody. Here I am at a bar in Germany. Here I am on the $2 bill. Um, and here I am on a cup of coffee. All right. And here I am on a Rubik's Cube. And, uh, and here I am on a Jumbotron. Right. And this is up in uh, Squamish, uh, British Columbia. Hello, everybody. All right. So that's pretty cool. That's actually kind of neat software. Um, good. All right. Have a good night, and I will see you back here next week. As chaos erupts, torrents of conflicting yet urgent messages gush from media outlets. What is the magnitude of the incident? And what should people do to protect themselves? Dr. David Perodin clarifies human behavior during days, weeks, months, or even years of chaos. Reporter James David Dixon of the Detroit News proclaims, the velocity of information is an education in the way people react and adapt to change. Never has it been more important to sift facts and stories for truth and meaning. The Velocity of Information will teach you how people have done it in history, in the modern day, and even in prison. There are teachable moments on every page. Buy The Velocity of Information, Human Thinking During Chaotic Times. Available from your favorite bookstore or online retailer.
A must read for parents, teachers, and taxpayers. Dr. David Perodin has written the most honest book about the $3 billion school safety industrial complex. Attorney James Sibley proclaims, a brave demonstration of speaking truth to power. School of Errors rips the lid off the billion-dollar school safety industry. Using real-world examples of successful responses in desperate situations, David contrasts the expensive window dressings pitched to panic parents with the inexpensive and effective approaches proven to actually work. Read this book before you let your school waste another precious dollar on meaningless safety theater. Buy the international bestseller, School of Errors, Rethinking School Safety in America, now at Barnes & Noble or Amazon. Hi, everybody. This is the Safety Doc with a face validity check-in here on March 31st, 2020. Bellevue, Washington has started a tool to report stay-home violations. This is from the government website in Bellevue, Washington. So we're going to scroll down here to my Bellevue portal and then to report gatherings. They've made it convenient. If there's a map on the right, you can drag a location over here into address, write a description, and then also include photos. This is a practice we've seen in some areas of the country, but it's gonna be more prevalent. Look for it in your area, probably in the next week or two. Describe the odor. Is it like when something electrical is burning? And so on. Ridiculous, right? We don't shift the investigation to the reporter, but that's covertly what the school district thought needed to happen to prevent their investigation scrambling principles from burning out. And as this paragraph smolders, it would be prudent to consider bringing students with disabilities from the sidelines of safety and center them to active roles of detecting and reporting threats. So we had a rather difficult meeting. Upon due diligence of examining the reporting system, I informed the district representative that I could not justify modifications to the existing model as such changes would make the system less accessible to students. Well, that was a short chit chat. The district folks believed or hoped that the threat input system could be modified and maintained with fidelity. I wasn't in alignment with that hypothesis and so I was thanked and given notice that our partnership would be over at month's end. Business is business, but in school safety, it's never as simple as that. How were the beans and chili that you had for breakfast? They were delicious. Thank you for asking. But now I am very gassy. I'm sorry to hear that. very bad. I have to open the window. Oh no. My cap flew off and it was sucked into the engine. Holy smokes. The engine just cut out. We should use the decide model to help us make the right decision. Mayday. Mayday. I am declaring a beans and chili emergency. 
Please advise for landing. Establish an approach.